0: Welcome to Moralia Python Radio, with your hosts, Eric Burke and Owen McIntyre.
1: Good evening, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Moralia Python Radio. Unfortunately, Owen won't be with us tonight. Uh, I believe he's uh, off on a special assignment with Jim from Morgantown. I think they're playing Santa... (laughs) And an elf at a local mall somewhere. I don't know. It's uh, I, I don't worry about that kind of stuff. But I have Rob Stone that's filling in uh, for, for Owen, who actually, he is sick. He is not feeling that well. And uh, he's uh, snuggled up with his blankie and trying to get better. Hopefully, he'll be back <laughs> next week. Until then, we got Rob. What's up, Rob? How you been? Not too much,
2: man. Not too much, Ben. The uh,
1: yeah, that's pretty great, you know. Owen,
2: uh, you know, I I think I've been on here with Owen, uh, just the two of us before. Two and two of us plus a guest. I don't think you and I have ever done this. I think you used to do Zach. So, um, you know, whatever. That is what it yeah. is. But I'm
1: glad to be here, and I'm really glad to talk to Mike because he's a great guy. Yeah, we got uh, Michael Pinnell that's joining us tonight, and we're gonna be talking inland's and coastals and. Oh man, we got a whole list of stuff that, that Mike's working with. He uh he works with Saboos and Golans, uh Rosie Boas. I know that's one that's near and dear to you, uh, Rob, so that's really yep. cool. And um I know you had I saw it on his page, but you were talking about uh I'm gonna butcher this name, uh Fordi, right? right? Did I get that yeah, right? Yeah, so, yeah. Okay.
2: Yep, that's that's totally correct. So I don't know if it'll be a sore spot for uh, Mike or not, but uh, I know that he used to work with them, and I'd seen some, you know, posted on King Snake that uh, were from animals from him. I don't know if he had produced them, so I wanted to talk to him about that.
1: Ah, cool, 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 cool. Yeah, Owen's already. Look, he woke up. He's 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 from his stupor as soon as I said him and his and Jim are playing Santa and the elf. Uh, he got really pissed off.
2: <laughs>
1: we love you, Owen. <laughs> uh, well, the real question yeah.
2: is, have you told him about the stats that you saw today? Because I, I think we've got some uh, some stuff to discuss there.
1: Yes, I did. Yeah, I got these. I, I showed Owen. I was uh, earlier, and I, I sent it to you as well. But um, they took a poll. Somehow, it's it's only a percentage of our audience. I'm going to post it over in the chat. But it's uh, it's mostly female. <laughs> it's kind of strange. Um, I don't know. So let's see. Yeah, and there's there a, and
2: kind of a, a middle age plus eccentricity to some of that. And so we're thinking, I mean, it has to be the Jim from Morgantown. They're just holding out up oh. for an appearance by uh, Jim from Morgantown. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> They're waiting. They're holding out. They're holding out, man. They're holding out. For sure. He must be very popular over there in Morgantown. I don't know. But um, <laughs> I was saying that, yeah, we're going to we're going to have uh, Michael join us in, in about two seconds. Um, for those who don't know, uh, we've mentioned it probably close to a thousand times on the show um, that uh, when we say M Penn, we're talking about Michael Pinnell. Um and that's that's where that line of coastals comes from um uh, they are spectacular animals uh fabulous top notch I have a group of them uh maybe uh well for for the new people that haven't uh, listened I'll tell the story real quick um uh, <clears throat> back in oh, man back when I was first getting into carpets um You know, I'm 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 researching who's who, who to get from, who to get what from, and I keep seeing uh, M Pen Coastal, M Pen Coastal, and I'm blown away by the way these look. So uh, I I found out that this was uh, Michael from Pythons in a Pear Tree, and at this point I was a nobody, so I had reached out to him, and uh, he had uh, a group of snakes um, that he had up for sale that were striped coastals, and I just had to have these animals that man, they were so amazing. Um, Unfortunately, I, I, and I'm sure we've all been in this situation. I contacted them right after somebody else had said that they were going to take them. And I don't believe he's in it anymore. His name was Rick. Uh, He was from new Orleans, I think. And he had bought the exact three that I wanted a trio. Um, And, I was I was really bummed out. So, you know, I waited and I said, you know, I guess I'll wait till next year and hopefully I can get at the top of the list and you know, so it goes. And I don't know what ha- I don't know if he just didn't uh produce from the same clutch or uh, I don't know. Um uh, but uh I, I never ended up scoring any animals from from Mike and I think it was like maybe two years later, um, the guy contacted me, uh, Rick, that had the animals, and he he knew that I loved these animals. So he said that uh, <clears throat> he asked me if I wanted to buy them. Well, I didn't even hesitate. I bought them. So those animals that I actually, uh, you know, wanted originally, I ended up getting anyway. So I guess it all works out in the end, right? Great, uh, right.
2: yeah, no, that's, <laughs> and they're really great. Those things are cool looking.
1: Oh, yeah. Fabulous, fabulous animal. So, um, you know, I, I, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the line a couple, what, what, maybe six months ago, we talked to Dave and we talked to him a little bit about the history of jungles. I thought maybe since Michael's been in it for, for quite a bit, um, he can, you know, take us back to the early days when the coastals were, you know, what what was it like? What was the scene like? Um, you know, maybe he can hit on some of the bloodlines and and, and uh, put uh, if people are uh, confused about the, the different bloodlines and stuff that are out there. Um, what's what's going on? Um, Inlands is another one. Uh, they don't get a whole lot of love all that much uh, because I guess I guess they're relatively new to the hobby, wouldn't you say? I mean, you know, they're kind of just on their way up, you know. Um, yeah, for sure. When yeah, was the first so, time you saw
2: those? Maybe in the U.S. Maybe ten or eleven years ago. Like you started—that's when Anthony got those with Kerry and all that. Was that something like oh four or five?
1: Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, and I think he first produced them in maybe two thousand and ten. Maybe it was. I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I know he was the first guy to produce them. And I remember they were what four thousand dollars a pair. Um, yeah. <laughs> maybe that was a little high at the time and you know people kind of shied away from them I guess. But um you know now uh, they're coming up and and I've said this I've you know when me and you have talked Rob I have said this that this is going to be the pet carpet python and I'm curious to see what Michael's thoughts on it are as well cuz they're pretty hardy. Um they're not I've never been struck by them or or anything but uh you know, we're going to talk about uh, how to breed them because they can be tricky. I remember uh, when we, when I was at the first Carpet Fest and I was talking with Michael, he was telling me about <clears throat> how he had difficulty with breeding the one line. And, uh, you know, he had success last year. So I'm curious to see how he broke that down. And uh, so we've got tons of stuff to hit on, you know. so
2: Yeah, for sure. And, man, they are cool looking. Those ones that Chad brought to uh, Timley were really something else, man.
1: Oh yeah, I forgot about that. He had a proven pair, right?
2: I think so. Maybe they were just up to size, but wow, really something else. Yeah. yeah.
1: That was uh when we learned the hard lesson to bring adults to shows so you can show them <laughs> off and people people will remember you, but uh so big. Um, I don't think uh, as, uh I'll give a quick update on the calendars. I'm just waiting to hear back from uh from from Casey and as soon as we square that away, um, you know, uh it, it, he tells me it's a really quick kind of turnaround time. I know we're kinda <laughs> we're kinda crunching it, um, but uh I'm sure we'll be getting it out real soon. So um I don't know. Anything else you see happening around, uh Rob? <laughs>
2: I don't think so. I'm mean, gonna I talk to you about it. Kind of checking out or on the Facebook thing or at least making
1: it so I'm not
2: uh not as likely to fall into it, you know, hiding it in a in a folder on the phone, so I have to make a conscientious choice to actually go into it and it feels great, man. I'm not gonna lie,
1: it feels great. <laughs> nice. Nice. Yes, oh, and I will talk about Savuz. I will talk about Savuz. Didn't I say that? Maybe I missed that. Um, but uh definitely we will be talking about that for sure. Neat little python. Have you ever yeah, worked with sure. them? Enough? Yeah, I'm sure you yeah, have. Yeah, I have. Right?
2: I, I love the uh, the eyes, man. When they get big, that's the. I know everyone gets bummed out about the the color change, although you see a little more retention in some of them. But man, those white eyes on those adults—that's what's. God, they're just so awesome, they blow it away.
1: <laughs> oh, and I gotta—they're I, <clears throat> probably not going to listen to this now, but I'm sure that they'll be listening maybe on the way back from their trip, which I don't know when it is, <laughs> but. Uh, I have to give a shout out to my, to my friends down there that took the trip down to Australia. Um, I kind of forgot about it because I kind of just wanted to forget about it. (laughs) I didn't want to be reminded, (laughs) but, uh, I got a nice picture this morning from, from the group and I'll share it over in the, I don't know. Did I share it in the chat already? I don't know, but we'll send it anyway, but there we go. Uh, you know, all those guys down there, um, they were sending me pictures throughout the day, which I guess it would have been night there. Um, they found some gelatin jungles. They found some King Horn Eye, uh, you know, uh, just all kinds of cool stuff, I'm sure. Uh, when they come back, I'm sure we'll probably get a group of them, if not all of them, on to talk about it. But, man, that was bittersweet. I'm real happy for those guys, but at the same time, I'm so jealous. that I wasn't able to make that <laughs> trip, man. <laughs> I mean that's the ultimate thing, you know. No, for sure. Yeah, yeah I mean it looks really, <laughs> it
2: looks really cool. And man, that one scrub python you showed me—that was something else, man. I guess I could it's share so that. So bright, so iridescent. Yeah.
1: In the chat as well. I don't I don't see why I couldn't, but let me see if I can find it. Um, here we go. The one that was down on the ground, right? Yeah. yeah. That's the one. Let's send it over to the chat. So, yeah, as we're up here in the cold and the yuck, these guys are down there finding scrub pythons out in the wild. So, (laughs) good for them, man. (laughs) And I'm not going to say that it'll be next year because I don't want people to, you know, to say it live on the air. But I'm telling you, man, I already got a fund with a jar and money is going in it all the time. At least Uh,
2: within two years, right? You can make more of a uh, commitment than Terrell
1: Oh, absolutely, yeah. I'm not like those West Coast wishy-washy guys, you know what I mean? (laughs) 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 Just kidding. All right, let's get Michael on here and let's get this going. Uh, Right. Hey, Michael, welcome back to Morelli Python Radio. Glad to have you. How you been?
3: I've been doing well, man, doing well. Thank you for having me back. Um, But I have to say – I, I've kind of got that same bittersweet that you have because Nick had talked to me, and I should have been down there right now. But I'm in the same thing as you. The funds just wasn't there. So, yeah, yeah. I'm quite jealous also.
0: <laughs> Sucks, though. It? Yeah. I know.
3: I know. I, I was just telling somebody today about it. I said, yeah, I should be in Australia right now. And They're like, Do what? I said, catching snakes. They looked at me all crazy.
0: <laughs>
3: yeah, you Most just don't people want to hide you just from them, know. right?
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah.
3: I mean that's just I mean that's just the way it is, but you know, they know i you know I breed snakes and everything else, but it's like you wanna catch wild and I said, Yeah and there's monitors and and these, you know, type hands and whatever else and they're like, What? You start talking about venomous and <laughs> stuff, they're like, Oh no, you don't I, look I'm not picking it up, you know. I just wanna go be out in the wild and take some pictures and just see it. I mean just the right. fact that you go to see a wild you know? Right. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. So, yeah. Jealous, jealous to the T. I mean, it's,
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, seeing, I I just want to see like the, <laughs> I just want to see what the environment is like and get it, you know, you get a total, I bet you those guys are going to come back that have been there for the first time and, and totally look at how they keep snakes in a different way. What do you think? What do you think that would affect Oh yeah, them?
3: definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Then you get to see more of the seasonal change, and you're getting to kind of talk with them and, and kind of get a feel for the humidity issues. And, and it's going to change from the time they're there, you know, to when we're actually breeding because it's kind of a flip-flop of the seasons. But it's you're just going to get a different – because then you know how to keep them during the summer. Right. You know, so, it, yeah, I think it would be really you, – you'd really reanalyze everything you're doing.
0: Absolutely,
1: <laughs> have a total different appreciation for what we would call now in the U.S. an ugly jungle carpet, right?
0: <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> you
3: no, know, you you were talking about the history earlier, and we we can get into it in here a little bit, but you know, you I'll go to shows, and, and right now I'm not working with jungles, but uh-huh. everybody, I want to see a black and yellow. I want black and yellow. So you're talking about a jungle, and they see what you know what we see you know, in, in 2014, 15, 16, if they had seen jungles 20 years ago, they would have said that's not a jungle.
0: <laughs> because yeah. there's
3: been so much. You know, if they look more like their wild counterparts. Maybe not as much, but, I mean, you can just look at what Nick's done in the last several years with the Palmerstons. His first clutch was kind of ugly. I mean, I hate to say that. I love jungles, so don't get me wrong but they right. didn't have that black and yellow. And he just posted up probably two weeks ago of one that's got, uh, I believe it's striped.
0: And oh, the yeah, yellow all on that. It
3: is really coming in, and it's like, okay, I remember seeing what your adults look like, and what your first offspring look like, and it's nothing like that. So, that that goes along the lines with you know refining the lines and, and, and breeding for certain traits that really wasn't unheard of you know everybody just i I got a a carpet and i breed it to this carpet and this is what i get you know and there really wasn't a whole lot of knowing whether it was jungle and coastal and you know i think as as some of the market kind of opened up and we were able to acquire some new stuff from europe you know myself you and several other people we've got different bloodlines in and uh some more well-documented bloodlines you know i mean we've got the uh, the Rockhampton locality now we have Brisbane locality and basically before it was a generic coastal
1: you right. know yeah that's uh that's that's i think that's pretty i think it's huge in probably in trying to you know I, that was one of the questions i was going to talk about earlier like when you're working with uh, especially like a locality project how do you you know how do you inject some new blood into that, or how do you use that locality, you know, bloodline to sort of inject new blood into your into your projects to to kind of you know keep from breeding what seven, eight, nine generations in? I don't know. Have have you done that, what, what that, have you done with that?
3: Well, as of right now, I've only got I've got a pair of Rockhamptons and I have a trio of Brisbane's. Uh, my smaller female has yet to breed. Maybe I'll have uh, a clutch out of her uh, next year. Nick's really wanting to see because she doesn't quite have the red that the other ones do. She was the oddball out of the ones we originally got in. So when it comes with a lot of the locality animals, it's hard to get new bloodline in. Yeah. Um, you know, you look at something that, that breeds pretty prolific like uh the crested geckos when they originally came in they thought that was something that was extinct for for years and i think Mm -hmm. the first groups that really started was off of like five to seven animals and i'm sure they probably increased you know got a little bit more blood in since then but as you know as as popular as they are you started with a handful of animals off of those You know, we kind of got the same thing with with the uh, albino olives that came in and and the rough scales. You know, it's just a handful of animals. So, you know, trying to keep from any kind of um, inbreeding regression is something that we have to look for in in the near future. Um, You know, pretty quick. I I would say within the next two to three years by adding some new blood, just because you constantly, I mean, if I I keep a pair of Rockhamptons back now just so I can have another pair in case something happens to my originals, they're still siblings. You know, my original pair was siblings, and now, you know, you start to get so much inbreeding, and I don't think long term, you know, after about four or five generations, it will really make the animal any any sturdier or or hardier. You're going to wind up doing more detriment, I think, to the line unless we were able to get some more blood. And even, right. if, you know, it's getting something from Nick or uh, uh, Aaron Colas, I believe he's got some Rock Hamptons. They're originally right. all off the same group, but sometimes just that different uh, different climate, different uh, environment that they're at, livens up that next, you know, say if I bought one from Eric in Pennsylvania, and i bring it to Texas and get acclimated and do some breeding, those babies are a little more livelier than a a clutch of the from a pair I would have, hmm. even though they're all kind of siblings you, you see a little bit more vitality in them, okay, but you know you still wind up going to that point, they're all related, oh so right. The locality is kind of a hard you know I mean and, and what we'll, we touch on later, like the Rosie Bow is you can go out. And, and get a new locality or more animals from the locality to kind of strengthen into that bloodline to help with it. But when you can't get stuff from Australia, it kind of like, it, it's, it, it makes it harder to, to continue a long-term
2: project with them. Yeah. yeah. I and mean, we've seen that with, you know, oh, there have been a ton of different things obviously that have started from a, a small pool and sometimes it causes problems. And, you know, in terms of the, the genes that, it, you know homozygous expressions of the genes that are hidden in that founder population, and sometimes it doesn't right you know, like the the porphyraceous species, some of those we're talking literally all the ones that we have are from three or four wild caught animals, um and some of those have shown some problems in terms of the actually kind of jaggish sort of stuff um when that gene is turned on, and other stuff like well, the rhinos initially before the they started coming in from China up until, what was that, 2005. It was a small pool, too. It was maybe 6 animals, something like that, with no obvious issues. Um, Would mm-hmm. that have continue, continued indefinitely? I don't know. I'm with you. It's always a good idea. It's just, you know, some of the stuff, maybe as long as there's no, you know, heterozygous genes in there that are causing problems that then you're not seeing until you get, you know, turn those homozygous as you go down the, the line in terms of generation, um if those aren't there, then, then it's okay. But I'm with you. The, the broader the, the gene pool you can do, the better, certainly. Um, yeah. I, mean, I know Jeff Hardy's hey, I... actually looking at that for the, the Puerto Rican boas right now in terms of what's in the state in captive collection. He's doing working mm-hmm. with uh, Glenn Reynolds, who has a phylogenetics lab over at uh, UNC Asheville, to see what, you know, okay, how related mm-hmm. are the things we have, essentially doing your own set book to try and, you know, manage the population in an appropriate way because I'm totally with you. It's a it's a great plan if you can, you know, if you can do it. Some of this locality stuff, if that's coming from a pair of snakes, yeah, you know, if there's a problem there, we're going to see it sooner or later. Yeah, and and
3: that may not be a bad thing to do. I mean, a lot of your, your tortoise species have studbooks, radiated tortoises. Um, I don't know if they really got one on plowshares yet. But a lot of those that are in the SSPs actually have stud books. And, you, you know, you kind of have to look back and, oh, well, this is a, a cousin from this one right here, so you can't breed it, you know. And they're really adamant about trying to diverse as much as they can. But I think you hit on a good point. When you're, when you're trying to do uh, some, like, recessive mutations, um, what we see on the outside as far as the appearance or the color pattern of the animal, there's no telling what underlying traits are there, and hence, like the Jaguar, you know, that manifest itself. So, like, right now, you really can't breed granite to granite because it was so inbred right at yeah. the first. Now, Nick did it this last year, but he's outcrossed, like, two or three outcrosses. It's like 62.5% or, you know, something like that. And he outcrossed enough and tried it. And he actually got very good, viable... You know, offspring, and I think it, you know all but maybe one hatched, or if not, all of them hatched. You know, and thrive, which was unheard of. You know. Yeah,
0: yeah
1: no, I mean that's that's great. Yeah, I mean back in the day, they were hatching with no eyes and
4: <laughs> all
1: mm-hmm. all jacked up. Yeah. <laughs> well, they, even oh.
4: today,
3: even today, they still have that problem with the albino boa trick. You don't breed an albino to an albino. Really? Because of the one eye and no eye. Yeah. I mean, huh. even with the, the modem that they have, if you want to make a sun glow, you breed a hypo-head albino to an albino. You don't breed albino to albino. You'll get animals with one eye or no eyes.
1: No kidding. Hmm. So that, there's something yeah, in with that. those
3: genes that, that kind of stresses or puts a stress on the um I don't know with the way the genes break apart or how they replicate themselves that causes some kind of external issue that we wind up seeing with, you know, eyes or kinking or something else. But as sure. far as, I think with like coastals and stuff that you have such a variability, I mean, you'll find when you breed a stripe to a stripe, you think, okay, I should get all stripes for the most part. And you still wind up with like one or two aberrant patterns. You might wind up with one kind of banding. So just that variability, I think, helps it along the line, even if you do work with some inbreeding to kind of refine certain lines that you're not really trying to do it to, you know, like a homozygous trait, granite, albino, something like that, that would really, I think, put detriment on that line. Yeah,
0: yeah.
2: What you say about the eyes, I remember seeing a baby – There was a litter of albino arabesques back when they were uh, expensive snakes. And, yeah, I mean, half of them came out missing eyes and that sort of stuff and just had to Mm -hmm. – they didn't even want to put them into a a pet situation in case someone changed their mind about that, you know, relative to the value of that animal at some point. So, yeah, no, I I totally understand that. It reminds me of – I think, Eric, you might remember this one. Ben was on Gecko Nation Radio. And part of it is some of these traits will be on the same chromosome near each other, and you don't actually see – we think of recessive traits as being inherited completely independently, and that's mostly true. But if they're actually near, each other on, near enough to each other on the chromosome, they'll come off in pieces, so it'll actually be hard to get – rather than being a 1 in 16, it might take 1 in 120 to actually get it to break so that those two things separate from one another. And the same thing could be happening here where there's some – it's not actually an eye functionality thing associated with one of the strains of albino in terms of where that gene is, but right next to it might be something that does impact eyes, and so that's being carried along with it. Even though they're two separate traits, they're just so close on the chromosome that that typically doesn't get separated. Right. Wow.
4: <laughs> <laughs> I, ne- I never heard that one, but I, I, mean, I can see it. <laughs> Rob's got it, man.
1: Rob's got it. <laughs> yeah. You can't stomp in, man. <laughs> uh oh <my>. um <laughs> yeah, I, re- I do remember that uh that them talking about that for sure. Um Uh I would say uh so I guess I guess the the locality stuff if you're not gonna focus on localities though, but like <clears throat> if the Rock Hampton or something like that would definitely inject new blood into a coastal project that you were doing for sure. Um you know. Well, I, I, yeah, I believe it would. Um, a lot of the
3: original uh, caramels that we got in from Europe are of Rockhampton ancestry. Uh, Nick would know more, but I believe it was either a caramel male bred to a Rockhampton female or a Rockhampton mm-hmm. male bred to a caramel female. But that's the reason the caramels don't tend to get that, I guess typical coastal length because they have that rockhampton blood and and rockhamptons tend to stay on the, a little bit on the smaller side as compared to like Brisbane's that can get
1: you know really good size
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah we'll definitely hit on them for sure because they're one of my favorites and you you bred them this past year right was that the first time that you bred yes them? yes oh,
3: okay. it's the first year i've actually got the uh female up to size and and um I think they're a, a lot like um, the Brittles pythons in a way that mm-hmm. it's not just a size, it's a maturity. Uh, I think Brittles are four years or five years before, you know, they're old enough to breed. You might be able to get them up to size in like three years, but it, it, it's a maturity. And I, I believe the Brisbane's are pretty similar the same way. Um and I really didn't put a whole lot of effort in doing it the last year uh I figured I'd give it one more year and of course Nick beat me and produced Brisbanes last year, so he was the only one in the country last year mm-hmm. so uh I was fortunate in uh to produce a clutch this year and i'm I'm loving them they're they're feisty little things Between mm-hmm. those i mean out of out of you know my red coastals, the Carmels, the Rockhamptons, and the Brisbane, the baby Rockhamptons and the baby Brisbane are the feistiest little snakes. They just want to do nothing but eat and bite. And and, and it's, it's <laughs> weird because they don't really want to eat. It's, it's uh, I had a little trouble getting some of the Brisbane started. Now they're finally coming, getting onto it. I had to kind of get some started onto some quail or, um, I breed some uh, African soft bird rats, so I wound up getting a couple of those pinkies and got some of them started that way, but now they don't want to go to mice fuzzy, So I got them onto a quail, and I'm slowly trying to get them, you know, to a pretty consistent meal, but, you know, something that's generally that feisty normally eats pretty readily, and Hmm. the Brisbane's didn't do that. They they kind of took their sweet time, and they, they'd strike at everything, but they wouldn't eat. And, you know, it. and I think any time that you get something that's, I mean, they're not from the wild, but I guess they're not as closely or far away from the wild as, say, some of the, you know, the other coastals and stuff we have, kind of more captivity that mm-hmm. it, it takes a little bit more time, kind of like your you know, rough skills. Uh, pythons would be being fairly new. I mean, it's, it, they, you know, it's not like we went and pulled them from the wild or anything. They were all in captivity, but they were more, I guess, freshly kind of introduced, I guess is what I'm trying to say. They, they okay. Get, okay. You know, you know what I'm saying? When you start getting with some of the, your yeah. wild animals in that first generation, they have a little trouble getting adjusted to the captivity. And once right. they get it then they're fine. You know, you with you know, the coastals and stuff that you produce. Boom, once they once they kinda get it, but you know, some of these other ones take a little bit extra steps and you know, Rockhamptons last year took a few times before they got started this year. They all started
1: I think by like one right off the get go. Hmm. So Well that that's good to know. I call African yeah. soft rails Morelia crack because it seems like no matter what, <laughs> <laughs> they, they'll always take those uh, picky eaters. Pretty much, stuff. yeah.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, all right. I know you were
2: just so, talking to somebody uh, a couple weeks ago, right, Eric, about how you keep those. Mike, how are you? How are you breeding those soft furs? Are you doing them differently than you would? Will you also keep mice and rats? Mice or rats? Well, folks? I don't. Well, I do rats. I do rats.
3: Uh, basically because most everything I keep is larger, and I probably need to do mice, but I just don't have the room, and they stink really bad. So I really (laughs) need to get a nice outdoor door away from the house facility. Uh, Many years ago, I did do both, and like I said, mice, just there's something about the the ammonia in their urine that they just, they really smell. So I, I just can't do it right now um Hmm. but as far as african softwares i don't have a whole lot to do with them so i have like one colony and i'm doing like uh 1.4 or 1.5 and just when i get a little litter or two i wind up feeding them uh fed them to my uh, baby rosy boas um do a couple of the uh like i said the brisbane's and stuff and surprisingly the sabus didn't go for them Hmm. really didn't want nothing to do with them yeah and I was huh. like, well, everything eats African soft rats, but salbu pythons apparently.
2: Huh? Who knew? Interesting. So you're so you're doing them in like a, a tank. I know I had some for a, a brief, I don't know, six months or so, where uh-huh. I just had them in like I was told you had to have them in like a 20 gallon long, rather than doing them in a tub setup, and that you would give them cork bark and all these different things, and you're feeding them seeds and all these oh, different kinds no. Oh so so I had done all that, mm-hmm. you know, and, and they did great. Um, and, in fact, it, it was it was pretty funny. I don't mean to hijack it, but it was pretty funny. I was, you know, just at my, uh, you know, non-herp job. The guy comes up and says, yeah, I've got this ball python that hasn't eaten in 10 months or whatever he says. And I said, oh, uh-huh. let's try one of these. And sure, sure enough, it took it the second it hit the floor. Um, so, I mean, they definitely work for some stuff, but that's interesting that they don't work for some. Yeah.
3: Now. What I keep them in is I use those, uh, I guess they're right at three foot concrete mixing tubs, right? In a in a a rack, and my ASFs are the same way. The only thing I do different is I have you know the wire screen top, and I put the I use a Missouri rodent 6F, and I put that for my rats uh, because the the tub is so deep. For the African softwares, I just got one little ceramic like we would use water bowl, dog food bowl, whatever, down in there and put their food in it that way. And then I give them a couple of, you know, we all have paper towels in the snake room, so I throw all the empty uh, cardboard rolls in there and sure. let them chew on it and whatever, and they do fine.
1: Okay. Know, every week well, when I clean, because I, I just
3: cleaned okay. today, just threw new uh, cardboard rolls in there and let them have something yeah. else to chew on and they be fine. Okay. And you don't have problems with them eating the babies
2: or anything like that?
3: No, uh, the only time I've ever had that is, unlike rats and mice, uh, African you tend to have a dominant female, and she kind of controls everything, so sometimes, I I guess if one of the other females gets pregnant before she does, she'll kill those whole babies, that whole clutch. I I don't Mm -hmm. know what it is about them, but one becomes the dominant female, and she runs it, so I may be the only one or she's allowing certain ones. I don't know for sure if it's the exact same one. It's always having a little uh, letter of of babies when I have it or not. Um, But they all seem, you know, I'll I'll look at Korea and they all kind of look plump. Now, I might have some once they eat, you know, once they have them that they might eat them, but I haven't really, I haven't noticed it. Sure.
2: Yeah. No, that's interesting. I mean, I know, I mean, that sounds a lot more conventional than certainly what I did
1: and what, uh, I hear a lot. So that's interesting.
2: Huh.
1: Yet, Terry just commented over in the chat that he had uh, heard that people had great success feeding live to uh, African softwares, to baby rhinos. Have you ever heard that, Rob?
2: No, I haven't. I mean, when I had them, I I don't think I tried it. Um, But, yeah, I mean, there are – Correct me if I'm wrong, I think they're a little bit smaller. They're kinda of like when they're when they first come out, Mike, they're like the same size as just those freshest pinks that you can get maybe from a small female, something they're a little uh-huh. bit smaller uh-huh. than maybe a a one or two day old that we usually see as a pink. So um, you know, that makes some sense and maybe it's just that slightly different smell. I mean, I know I still have the darn hog nose that wants, you know, tuna fish scent <laughs> it's that you know, it's just turn it <laughs> off a little bit, you know, and it makes all the difference. So yeah, Owen. Uh, speaking of hog oh, and have fun with uh, tuna. Just hope you like tuna sandwiches, man. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, nice. That's awesome. So, since the let's 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 backtrack for a second. Ha, since the last time we talked to you, has there any been any new projects that you've added to your collection? Uh, yeah. I uh
3: I picked up some albino Darwin. Well albino nice. darwins. I've got a male and a trio of het and I picked up uh an exantic coastal visual and uh one of Nick's sixty six percent het that you look at her, it's like, yeah, she's gonna prove. It it's something oh, about gotcha. those with the way the, the look of the eyes and sometimes a pattern that almost makes it look exanthic. But mm-hmm. you know it wasn't and it's like, yeah, you're gonna prove so uh I, I kinda of, because I wanna do that in in integrate it into you know the exantics into the caramel and into my red coastals
0: to get a
3: little bit different look and then see how the, the supers, you know, look. Uh, to see if there's much difference. Right. So We'll see. But other cool. than that, I mean, that's the main thing. Um, I, I know I really want to add some rough-scale pythons, and I think he's he's got a he few left, I think. I don't know. That was, I, The last time I talked to him was about two weeks before he left for, you know, the other place that we don't want to mention right, right now. <laughs> but yeah, uh he 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 had, had some and I think he, he sold a pair and something else. So he may have a pair left. I don't know if that was what he was keeping for himself or not. Um, uh, but that is something else I really would like to uh to incorporate and get into and and uh first time I ever held one I don't know if the first time you did was at Bill Steagle's house at the uh first carpet fest. Yeah. He had some down there. Those were that was awesome. I mean I've still got the pictures on my phone. So that's just the feel of them, the, the look and, and thinking when you can look in their mouth and see them teeth and then
1: find out this snake, not as prone to bite. You're like, wow, that's kind of cool. Yeah. I mean, Michael, you, you'll probably remember this. I mean, remember back in the early days of MP when rough scales were like that, you know, that section of uh, MP was never really any updates at all. And, you know, I, I I'm afraid that they're those snakes that one day will be taken for granted and just kind of like, you know, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah it's a rough scale. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and I think at that, at the at
3: the beginning, um, because there really wasn't any there, uh, I remember, and I don't remember what year it was, but I remember watching, you know, we all grew up watching Steve Irwin. But I remember watching a show with Mark O'Shea where he went to go find rough-scale python. This whole uh-huh. hour-long episode, didn't find nothing. Right at the end, the day they're getting ready to leave, to come back to the States or to uh, England, boom, somebody found one in a tree, just overlooking, like, right where they had just passed. And then it comes across in, you know, black background with white lettering that they did find, like, three more within the next couple of days or weeks and it wound up being i think a 2.2 but they were virtually thought to be extinct because nobody had found any so right. I'm not sure, i don't remember exactly when that was and you know with the as far as the correlation with uh blocking the really python days and uh I, I don't know but i, I remember that and, and i think it would be something that yeah. may be taken for granted uh I'm pretty sure you guys have seen a picture because I think Nick posted it on Facebook, and one of the groups was <laughs> that somebody's already crossbred it. It's like a four-year-old animal. So these were like the oh, first yeah. import female. Somebody's already hit it to. I don't even remember what it was. It was. It was. Man, I was they like really an ugly
1: man, carpet something like python. Yeah. It was yeah. A carpet it was python. Something. Mm. <laughs> it's a. Uh... Carpet rough scale cross of some. Uh, yeah. And, uh.
3: <laughs> I just didn't, you know, I mean, and.
1: Because, Eric, you're
3: a purist and you do, I don't know so much as hybrids, but you do uh, interspecies. Not, well, you yes. know what I'm saying? You know, yeah. mm-hmm. um, coastal, albino, jag, granite
0: combination. Yep. Mm-hmm.
3: So. I have seen some really nice looking animals, and this is coming from a purist at heart. I like them. They look cool, but it's like all that extra offspring. If you bred an albino and a jag and everything with jaguar, you know, but when you wind up with, well, like the jungle jag, you wind up with so many of these other animals that, you know, I constantly get pictures. People send me a picture. Well, what is this? <laughs> I,
4: don't
3: know. I can give yeah. you an educated guess, but. You know, uh, a lot of times it's kind of hard. And the more. I remember when everything was 50 50 and then it was 75% and then it was 88%. <laughs> I mean, you remember right. when, when Campanello did yeah. the. Um, was it 88%? I think it was Bullwinkle or Bullwinkle Jr. 88% yeah. hijacks. The right. animal itself, awesome. But what happens to all those offspring? And I think that was always kind of been the issue when it comes to those. So. I'll, I'm going to go ahead and backtrack because, you know, we were talking about when you did your intro, you were talking about history. Yeah. And I know a little bit. I've been I've been around in it for a little bit. But um, most of the original animals that we all kind of started with, there was a, a few different lines. And a lot of this stuff uh did have some diamond jungle crosses and you had diamond coastal crosses because it was pure diamonds, but there was so much problem with – uh I think we were still kind of learning we were in embassy, you know, of of on that learning curve. It was uh they came up with diamond python syndrome, I believe it was. I think it was right. but they found out well I can breed it to this jungle, I can breed it to a coastal and I get nice viable animals. But something keeping diamonds for very long is because we really weren't cooling them. And I'm sure there's other probably some um dietary Needs maybe a vitamin or mineral or something that we're getting, and I know, Derek uh, Roddy does like fish and some other stuff to his blackheads to give different vitamins and minerals to them. So there might have been something that we're missing, but you know that was a lot of what we had, and then we had coastals and then we had some jungle, and there wasn't a lot of, I guess, heavy research into where did this jungle come from, and you know the line. And kind of when I got into it, there they wind up with uh, we used to have constant debates and fights, and it, it got to a point there was like name calling, and I mean the old days of really Python because it was <laughs> like were purest, you know, and and were these just snakes in a box? And it's like well we, and it, from it, my point right now, as if I'm at a show and I'm selling a coastal, I want to be able to hundred percent within my reasonable knowledge, say it's a coastal. You know, there was always this debate. Well, there was a bird, and it could have took a jungle and,
4: (laughs) you know, and picked it (laughs) up
3: and 50 meters down, dropped it into coastal territory and get under it. Well, yeah, I mean, everything's possible. But for the most part, what I want to see is a coastal. I want to feel confident it's a coastal. And I got to talking with Nick, and we, you know, Nick had kind of gone back on the ancestry of his, and his, um, you may know, and, and some people not, uh, his is the Sylvester line, and right. his kind of has a distinct look. I can I can look at a lot of his animals and know that it came from his animals, and I can do the same thing with mine. We, we've. You know, and it, it's been really nice for everybody to call in Penn Line. It's like, wow, man, I got I got my name on something. But <laughs> originally these animals came through Lloyd Lincoln. I mean, we traced it back, you know, through David Tracy Barker to uh, Amy Zirkle and into Lloyd Linky. And And, you know, in a lot of those early days, there was stuff that, you know, came in. I mean, Australia
2: was closed yeah, down Mike. sometime in the 60s. But stuff came My in. Guess. There was habits of stuff coming in. Uh uh-huh.
0: um,
2: so quick question there, just as an, an aside and I know, you know, he had his hand in a lot of different pots, but I kinda wonder how much how much of that has become, you know, saying, Oh, it's limkey is, you know, passed off because A, he was moving a lot of stuff. That's true. But also B because he passed away in the late nineties and kinda isn't here to to contradict or tell tales or any of that sort of stuff, you know I'm saying, like Okay, well, so maybe now you have other stuff that oh, it was Lemke also implying oh he was getting it um, questionably you know questionable origin or mm-hmm, something like mm-hmm. that just to, just as a cover for like oh actually it came in yesterday <laughs> but I can't really say that you know yeah yeah Does that makes sense
3: well I mean yeah. there's I mean you've got there was there was a lot of outfits that were out of Florida that was you know bringing stuff in or individuals bringing in and selling and they would you know long say, before oh,
2: my no, time. I got
3: it from him. Or, I mean, we both <clears throat> yeah, just yeah. You know, we know how it goes. Yeah. And it no. it, it hey. probably does. So I, I, I really like the fact that, you know, when people permit it, they, they – I mean, I try to give reference to Lorne Lemke because that is as far back as we can trace it. But as far as, like, this day and time, by people referring to him as MP you kind of know. And then when – okay, well – contact me, I can, okay, here's kind of the history. These are the animals I got. And I acquired them through, you know, a friend that got them directly from VPI, and, you know, it traces back. And that's kind of the way yeah. Nick was. And, you know, there was a lot of stuff with the jungles, and <laughs> we all know the stories. It's already kind of been in and out, and, and where a lot of this came from, being wild caught, brought in, and introduced, and being able to kind of, people that who kind of kept track of it. You knew they were jungles, so we had a couple of those different
2: lines to work with that way. Right. That's so the then, so, so are yours from a different? Just you know, and excuse me, Eric, if I'm if I'm wrong. Are yours then from different, completely different stock than what Nick has started with, or is there some crossover there, or? No, it's
3: completely different stock. It's completely different stock.
2: I'm not sure how far
3: his go back. And I just know his will refer to as Sylvester. He may know the guy's first name and and some more history on him. Um,
1: Dave Sylvester is his name.
3: Dave Sylvester. Okay. And um, so we we got. It. I can look at the animals. It's like, you know, Eric brought up that story when he opened up, and I remember that vividly. And you know this guy contacted me. I want that trio. And then it probably wasn't a few hours later. If if that, you know, Eric hit me up back in the days when everything was on emails and
1: really a Python on board or whatever.
4: (laughs) And he was
3: interested in them. I said, look, this, this other guy already told me he he had paid for him, but he told me he wanted him pay me by this date. If he doesn't, or he backs out, you're next in line. I mean, it, even though I knew Eric had money at that time, because he was telling me, look, I got money right yeah. now. He was ready. <laughs> I, I didn't feel comfortable when somebody else had already told me they wanted the animals. I'm going to give him, sure. you know, full time. And so later on, I, I don't remember if you had contacted I think you had contacted him told him, if you ever sell them animals, I want them. Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> I never knew he sold them. We were, I don't remember if it was Facebook or Marillia Pythons board. And you posted up some pictures, and I looked at and I said, "I know exactly." I said, "Those are my animals. They came from my, you know, my stock." And you're like, "Yep, I got them from, you know, the guy in, in Louisiana." I was like, "Okay." There, there's a certain look to them outside of that striking that I can kind of tell. Now, Nick does have some of my animals. I believe it was 2007. I had sent him one mail. I think I sent him two. But I know I sent him one mail for sure, and he used that to kind of introduce some new blood into his. And so he'll have some that's kind of cross with Limpke and Sylvester lines. But I think what I've seen with Sylvester is they tend to have a, a little bit broader, not necessarily a broader head, but it looks like they got fatter cheeks. If that's the, if you, if you get what I'm saying, it's like the head is wider. You know, yeah. and there's a distinct look on that head that you can tell, okay, that's Sylvester Lyon. And and mine tends to have a like a greenish hue, color to it. Red. And sometimes it comes through in pictures and sometimes it doesn't. And you can see when you post them and the light's just right, you're like, yeah, I know those. And so when you posted a picture up the other day, I was like –
0: <laughs> One of those men, if I could kept everything, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's uh, yeah, it's
3: like, but you you wind up running into that, and, and, you know, like, right now, being with the caramels, and I'm holding stuff back, and, and these red coastals. it's like, I've got too many holdbacks, the color here, or this stripe, unless I want to produce this, raise it up, and then after a while, you wind up with, you know, a hundred extra snakes that you know, does it really – so it's like, okay, after about a year or two, okay, let's refocus projects and figure uh-huh. out where I really want to take this. Because, you know, I had kept some animals at one time uh, at that M Penn Coastal Line for banded animals because I had a really nice banded female, and I wanted to try to produce these really nice banded animals. And, you know, at that time I was having to, I think I moved and I had to downsize a little bit. So it's like, okay, I'm going to go ahead and kind of stick with the stripes and I'm going to go ahead and sell this off. But I think it would have been cool now being that it's been so hard for anybody to produce a caramel stripe. Because something about the caramel gene fights that stripe pattern so much that you either get a, halfway decent stripe but it's like a really ugly animal. Or you wind up with a color but not a whole lot of stripe. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Owen was uh pretty lucky with hitting uh some pretty nice somewhat stripe, you know, like the start of it. But but I think mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. uh the stuff that I think the first year him and Nick were kind of doing the same project and the animals that Nick used um, – and it's funny. I believe Owen used one of your animals, and they actually turned out nicer than um, what Nick was going for, I thought, in my opinion. Not, I mean, Nick, Nick – well, I, I, I,
3: I think Nick also used one of my females because of the striping. Because I, I don't – he may have recently got a tiger, but he didn't have tigers a while back. No. So most of the stripes he had was off that limpy line, you know. Yeah, so what yeah. Owen had, it was just I. I my, my personal belief is the very bright colored, I would say, pretty animals like the like out of that trio that you have. If they've got that color, I don't think it's going to produce a very good looking striped caramel. Because right. of how bright it is. I think you're going to have to have a really dark animal. And then right. put the caramel in. It's going to take a few more generations to try to get right. some more color from the caramel in. But I think there's uh, the way that caramel fights with that color, you might get some striping, but that color, they, they just don't jive well. And so that's why right. I've got this one really nice striped female that's dark. And... If I get around, I may put try it this year and see what I get. Um, but, yeah, Nick was kind of disappointed. And he was like, man, I really wanted this car, you know, a super caramel stripe and the animals. I mean, he, he sent me one, and it was really nice and striped. But if he had told me it was a caramel and I didn't see the telltale signs when I first got it, it looked like a regular coastal because of the way that caramel and that pattern and
1: everything spot with the other color right Right. i think that was it i think when nick when i i remember when when caramel was like probably the first year that people were breeding caramels and nick was telling Mm -hmm. me to pick an animal with low 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 black and i think um owen's approach was different than that and he didn't really pay attention to that and it seemed to you know, like he got a little bit better results. And I think that I remember talking to Nick and he kind of changed gears and he was kind of surprised at how they turned out and that next generation, I mean, well, look at his caramels now. I mean, they're just, they're Mm -hmm. freaking phenomenal. You know what I mean? (laughs) Oh yeah. 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 So, uh, but yeah, I, I just, just to comment about that Sylvester line, um, what was weird is I had picked up a pair of those animals that at the time I didn't know what they were. I just picked them up as coastals, and um, I got them from Shad Quill. And uh, oh, okay. it was a pair. Unfortunately, my uh, female died, and I had a male. And that's when I just you know was starting to get in touch with Nick and all, and he had he had them. And you know, I asked him about him, and he told me, you know, the, the backstory and all, which was weird, is because I got, um, I actually got a pedigree like certified uh, piece of paper that came with these animals, that was from uh, the Dave Sylvester line of coastals, which was, you know, <laughs> that was pretty pretty cool, um, and uh, I I think that. I think it was last year, maybe it was two years ago, that female that Nick had died. So, because I was going <coughs> to send him my mail because mm-hmm. there's no more of that bloodline that's, you know, just the pure bloodline. And uh, yeah. unfortunately, the, they had both mm-hmm. passed. So, Right.
2: Eric, was, that's lost. Eric, where did the, the ones that Blake had, or the ones you got from Blake, how did they fit into this? I thought those were Sylvester as well. Was that something else?
1: No, that's those animals, yep. Actually, Blake sold them, and somehow Shad got them, Uh, and then I uh, got them, and and I backed, I asked, you know, Shad what the story was, and then that's how I got in touch with Blake, and Blake said, yeah, he produced them, he sent me pictures of the parents. Those parents actually came from Nick, from Nick's, you know, straight line, so... And then he but, lost uh, those
2: parents, but he had some babies, at least a few a handful of years ago, right? Blake still had some that he was growing up, but I think were uh, siblings from a different year to yours.
1: Yes, but I think they had passed as well, so. Ah, uh, okay. I think or moved yeah, on or whatever.
2: Sure. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think that bloodline is, you know, as far as what Nick was mm-hmm. telling me and. We were the last mm-hmm. remaining pair in the, at least in the States. I don't know if it's outside the States, you know, but then you always wonder, it's like that, you know, there's somebody up in their bedroom somewhere. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> they have this pair of snakes yeah. and <laughs> yeah, just like, huh. They're 25 year old
2: geriatric snakes that, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, wasn't it, it, is the it possible? Like that? I
3: mean, you look, yeah, the Brisbane were like that for sure. Um, you know, you look to just how what you said, how many times those snakes change hands from Nick through Blake to Shad to you, that you know, snakes get sold or something happens, somebody passes, somebody moves and has to sell animals, and through about two or three different hands the information's kinda lost. So I would think that the animals are still out there. Just nobody really knows what they have. Because it's it you know, a lot of times even or you can move and lose the paperwork and you're like, Well, yeah, I know this is what they are. I bought it from this guy. Well, if you don't really have that stuff to back it up, then it makes it harder to try to say this is what it is. Unless you really yeah. know what to look for. You know, but even then, it's, it's. you know, I know Nick's probably in the same boat, but I go, I go to a show and I cannot buy a carpet from anybody, really. I mean, now, if I come up to Hamburger and you guys are all up there, that's different. But, like, local shows and you know, Louisiana and Texas and Oklahoma and stuff, I, I can't really just buy one because there's not really any history. It's like, oh, it's a carpet. Well, what kind? Well, I mean, I know what it looks like, but you know, you get those all the time. You get something that's high percentage. So, you know, we kind of on, 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 like, the history part of it, and, and I know I'm going to probably get some haters, but I was believe and say that the Jaguar screwed it up for all of them.
0: <laughs>
3: and the reason I say that is uh, really, now we were doing, I mean, I say we, the the general population of, of carpets that we had, there was, you know, Diamond Coastal Crosses, Diamond Jungle Crosses, but nobody was breeding stuff to a Brettles Python outside of Brettles. You know, they weren't breeding it to, you know, I mean, nobody's breeding a diamond to an inland. They're not breeding a coastal to an inland, but they bred a jaguar to an inland because they wanted to see what it was going to do. So with that aspect, that's why I would say it, it messed up everything. So, but at the same time, it, I guess, caused coastals to have a popularity rise because at that time, when the Coastals were just kind of coming in, and, and I want to say Will Lurie had the first, not Coastal, Jaguar. Will Lurie had the first Jaguar that came into the United States. Um, and so when, when he was working with those, basically everybody was looking at jungles. Everybody wanted black and, and yellow snakes. Nobody was really looking at Coastals. IJs were kind of something else on the side. Nobody was really looking yeah. at Coastals. So when the Jaguar came in, and it's a coastal mutation, I think it livened up Coastals a little bit more. It's like, okay, cool, there's a mutation. And so it brought it, you know, more to the forefront because, you know, for the most part, Coastals were the drab, earth tone colors. And that's what it was. It was just like, oh, that's a carpet python. And so it was about probably five years after that. um, And it was weird because my Jaguars came from... Matt Brock that had one of the first grandsons I think from or sons from Will Leary's Jaguar and I hadn't even talked to him but that's when a lot of the issues were starting to come out about the Jaguar having some slight Euro issues and about that time is when I was like you know what I'm going to sell my jungles off and I'm going to focus on Coastals and IJs and if I can work and and refine the line and just kind of breed for certain traits, like we've done jungles or like jungles have done for the last 15 years or whatever to that point, what will they look like in the future? And that was kind of my aspect into, you know, sticking with those and in and, and IJs and Coastals and to where they're at now. I mean, if we look back now, 10 years on what Coastal's were looking at on the average as to what they look like now, I think we can see that refinement and that selective breeding actually paying off.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I would agree. <clears throat> um, and do you still work with IJs? I didn't, I didn't know you worked with them still. Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah, I, I do. I, not to the heavy extent that I did. Um,
4: mm-hmm.
3: I'm really wanting to get an Exantic IJ. Because I want to yeah, produce gigantic granite, but yeah, they're
0: nice <laughs>
3: <laughs> one of these days, one of these days that's the other jar
0: <laughs> you, know, <I> got the, <laughs> you, you know
3: you, that, got you know that gotcha. <laughs> you. Yeah. yeah, I, got I think it. I got I think I got like four jars, so but yeah, I do work with them a little bit I, I'm probably gonna pair up my uh head granites again this year, um mm-hmm. unfortunately, like the last, I didn't breed them last year at all, um. The last two previous years that I've bred, I've got like 17 or 18 eggs and one granite. Then the next year, one granite. And it's like, you know, statistically, one out of four, I can have like three or four of them. Nope, one granite. And that, that oh. seems to be my luck because I do the same thing uh, with my granite spotted pythons. I actually breed a visual granite to a het female and get one
1: granite every year. Really, wow yeah. <clears throat> that's crazy,
3: <laughs> yeah, so brain is I guess just aren't my friend <laughs>
1: um I just uh I real quick, I just posted up over in our chat room, um I found these uh I had' them in my desk, but I found those certificates that I was talking about, and um they were showing you know the bloodline of those sylvester stuff and the the actual uh authentic certification uh of them so um okay. yeah i'll I'll send you over a picture of it you'll you'll probably get a kick out of it a little uh oh yeah definitely <laughs> um let's talk about your inlands let's talk about how you're uh what you're doing with inlands uh how do you keep them um maybe talk a little bit, do you keep them different than carpets? Um, you know, I know down in, down in Texas, you guys, you know, struggle with keeping things actually cooler than, uh, you know, uh, we worry about keeping it hotter. Um, maybe talk about Mm. caging, lighting, heat, feeding, that kind of stuff.
3: Okay. um, and I guess I'm glad to correct you, I have I've yet to successfully reproduce. I got <coughs> eggs but they were non viable eggs this this last year.
0: Right. And
3: I'm working with the Schofield line and
1: Okay.
3: I think according to Nick, there's only like one person in the US that's actually produced the Schofield line. All the other ones are the Mog uh, Mog Mal- 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 or Maug yeah. line, Mal- line. And there's been some of those reproduced. Um, but the original ones that came in, uh, mine are 2007. I believe it was either 2005 or 2006 that the first inland came into the United States, and that was uh, from Paul Harris to Anthony Companetto. And it was either the next year oh, or the, the next one, because mine are 2007, and they they came through Paul, too. That was when Nick they talked with Paul and that's when we started kind of having the influx of more animals and the Rock Hamptons and the, you know, the other animal started to come in when he started uh, talking with Paul. Um, but as far as the inland, yes, it has been a little bit harder to, I guess, keep them cooler as far as the winter cooling temps. This year doesn't look like it may be that much of a problem because we're supposed to be down to like 30 uh, Friday. So, It has helped, but when we have a very mild winter,
0: you know, it could be
3: 50 or 60 degrees, and then it gets up to like 70 during the day. So you know, the heat beating down on the building and everything, it tends to warm them up a little bit more. Um, As far as keeping, I keep them generally the same as I do my other carpets. Lighting, everything's about the same. Uh, I've got to. Recently, I guess about the last eight months, I switched over and put everything on a uh, Repta chip, the cocoa chip um, betty, and I I like it. I like it. It it keeps a good moisture. Uh, You can mist it down. You spot clean about every two, three months, trash it, throw it out in your compost pile, whatever, and put new one in. And when you mist it down, it has a nice earthy smell to it, so... I think they kind of huh. enjoy it. My dwarf firm loves burrowing down in it. So um yeah, like I, I said, all of kinda of stay it, the that. same with it. Yeah.
2: Yeah, sorry about that. Go ahead, that. Eric. I was just gonna say no, go I, I knew I put them with the uh the home pythons and Eric and I were joking that with the sales pitches associated with that I thought my mail was about to start uh, you know, crapping out eggs with as as much as it was sold as, you know, the answer to all the problems. But I actually do like it. You know, that Jokes aside, it, it is a nice product.
3: Yeah, yeah, I, I remember a lot of the hype when it kind of came out, and uh, it's like, okay, it you know, male crapping out eggs—that was a good one. Um, <laughs> but I I just like I like the fact of you know because I was using newspaper, and then I was started using the the little cardboard little sheets that you could buy that corrugated type paper and. I tried a mm-hmm. bunch of different stuff and I just didn't really like the Aspen bedding and, and Santa chips. It works good for my colubrids, but not for the carpets as much. And so, so when i tried this, yeah, it, it, it keeps the humidity and, you know, you can keep it misted down at certain times of the year yeah. uh, and then kind of let it dry out and, and you can still kind of squeeze on a little bit and there'll be a little bit of moisture in it, but it just, it's easier to spot clean. So, My thing was every time I would clean and put in fresh newspaper or what other similar substrate, Mm -hmm. they're like, oh, fresh water, fresh paper, time to go to the bathroom.
0: Yeah. And it, like, never (laughs) fails. Yeah.
3: I put in a new rep chip. It's like, okay, they may wait for a few days, you know, before they do, so it's a little easier. But, you know, being able to spot clean, and, and it takes a little less pressure off constantly having to change because if you do a whole stack of cages, all new everything, percent of them decide to use a restroom, you either back in it several hours later going back to them cages (laughs) or depending on when you did, it's the next day, you know, because like you said your non-reptile job, I've got another one that I work 48 to 50 something hours a week, so yeah, by the time I do that and try to come out and take care of the snakes, it makes it a little hard that, oh, they would use the restroom and the next day it's back over and then some of them decide they wanted to paint with it
4: <laughs> and right. it just
3: became more of a chore so the fact of being able to use this repti chip and cut down on the cleaning time and then you know it, it was safe to use you can, like i said chunk it out i got a friend of mine that has a little garden i took him like three or four big big bags and said just put them out i said yeah. keep the squirrels off because i smell the snake poop and Grow, welcome right. to your corn or whatever else, and,
2: and it will compost down because it's just, you know.
0: Yeah, um, and
2: it seems to get better, you know, better than cypress in terms of, like, when you wet it down and then it dries out and you get it wet again. Cypress can kind of fall apart and it gets sticky and brittle and all that. You know, this stuff does seem to take that pretty well in terms of putting water on it and then having it dry out and then, you know, reinvigorating rather than just kind of turning to, to garbage.
3: Yeah, yeah. Um, now with the Inlands, um, and I do the same thing with these, with the Brisbane's cause I had talked with Nick and we were talking about the locality and, and, um, being that the Brisbane's are from that Southern coast, they need to get cooler. So, you know, I, I put them down at about, oh, Look what I got here um about mid to late de- December. So probably by this weekend. I'll uh, kind of put them in my other room, <laughs> so to speak. i I got a garage that I've got a little room off to the garage that has a hot water heater in a small room. So it will never get so cold that the animals won't survive. But it gets cold enough that it works for them to be able to reproduce. So whereas I leave the bers out there. I took the klubers out um like two weeks ago, and all that just just stay out there for several months with the with the brisbanes and the inlands, I put them out there at night every morning I bring them back into the <laughs> snake room and I just yeah it's man, it's a pain but i i I bring them in and I just set them on the floor i have I put them in in smaller tubs. Because I've got them in like you know four foot APK racks right. during the year. So at this time, I put them in these little you know <laughs> twenty eight thirty two quart rubber made Sterilite tubs with the little four uh, four inch coupling little water bowls so they have some water. And I'll take them to the room in the evening. The next morning, I'll bring them back out and set them on the floor. And you know my okay. temperatures on the floor are probably running. On a really cold day, may run like 70, 72. Um, Okay. Like right now, right now I'm looking at it, it's like 78, but I'm kind of close to the heater. But if I put it by the other door that's right next to the outside of the garage, there's a little cool air that escapes coming back into the room. (laughs) So it stays a little cooler on that side. And that evening, pick them up, put them back out there. And, And, yeah, you do this for like two months, two and a half months. But when you live in a warm climate, you got to adapt. And uh, I, the first year, the reason I don't think I had success with the Brisbane uh, last year is because I just put them in tubs and just set them on the floor. I didn't get them cold enough. Right. So I started doing it where I dropped them in the evening and then brought them in. So they would have about a 15 to 20 degree temperature range on most days, which I think is probably more kind of what they would have in their habitat. Even though it might be a little colder, that being able to come out and bask will warm their body temperature up so this kind of the best i could simulate that being able to kind of bask and then go back into the cool time yeah it just got really boring when you're having to get up at two thirty in the morning to go to work
4: <laughs> you got to come out and
3: bring them in oh and my. go back out and do it again but you know it, it's it, a good it, thing. You it, just do it for the love bear, right? you love doing it
2: <laughs> do I? yeah it's good thing you only have a couple
3: pair, right? Oh uh, yeah, at the moment.
2: <laughs> but you never know. <laughs> I,
3: you know I wind up with something else and be, oh yeah, I gotta have this. And, oh well, you know what? You gotta do the same thing. Because if I did the diamonds, well, the diamonds I would probably just leave out there with the Kaluberts and just they would stay.
0: Right.
3: Um, I, I think if you remember some of the old days with the Pythons, uh board, there were some guys in Europe and. I remember at first kind of freaking out, looking at the picture. They had one of these like tiled, plastic dollhouse, play uh, dollhouses like you would yes, have outside. Yes,
0: yeah, yeah, and yes. they
3: had this outside, kind of boarded uh-huh. up with like a lamp incandescent <laughs> bulb in the yep. top, and that's where the diamonds got stored for the winter. And I'm like, it's snowing outside, and there's snow on the ground, yes. you got a python. <laughs> you know, Diamond, and they get cold. It's a python. Right. It's not a colubrid. And it's like, sit down middle, yeah, it's perfectly fine. You're like, dude, you're an idiot. And, but it was the other way around. They really – they wound up having a success because they realized yeah. they had to get them colder. But I remember it's seeing that ridiculous. picture the first time yeah. and going, man, you guys are crazy. That's the <laughs> snake just lose. Yeah, no, for
0: sure. I mean, it's
2: – I think, you know uh, – it's it's great that you've recognized the constraints of your situation. I think more typically, right, would be if you could have your room be in those temps, you know, 50s or 60s, and then you could just leave them in there with the cage, and then during the day you'd run it on a timer or something like that. Whether you're doing just overhead bulb or if you're going to do a, a heat panel or whatever, and just have it, you know, on for a certain period of time and then off. But man, I, I respect the heck out of you for doing it <laughs> from day to day. That's that's been those babies better you know better selling people better value uh, what you're doing there because that's a lot.
3: Yeah, and and ultimately that would be kind of the key. If I were to be able to expand a little bit like I would want to, and kind of have a small colubrid room, I would just wheel these in there, and 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 have a a cooling unit that would drop the temperature in that room at you know at night to a certain degree, bring it up a little bit during the day but have their heat panels kick on so yeah. they would be able to bask without having to do that back and forth. But, you know, once again, that's another jar. So <laughs> until that jar fills up, <laughs> up enough to be able to do all that. I've got to do the, the long legwork. And and, yeah. and that's what, you know, Eric, we had talked about when, when you came down for Carpet Fest, just the difference. And so that's when, when I'll talk to somebody at the show and it's like, okay, this will work for me. It may not work for you. You know, I mean, I could tell you how I breed carpets. For your climb and for Colorado, that's two totally different ones. It, this may not work for you. You
0: right.
4: know,
3: like you said, you have trouble trying to keep them warm enough. Mm-hmm. Being cold is no problem, especially this time of year. Get out there. And, you know, they're fine. <laughs> but, yeah. And especially in, in northern Colorado, same thing. But there's a humidity issue.
0: And, you know, that changes it up a little bit.
2: Whereas here, we we don't, I don't know what that is. Well, I guess it's, uh, I've got it in the flake form tonight. But, yeah, I mean, it's 10 degrees out, you know. So, certainly the, you know, the temps wouldn't be a problem. But, you know, at the same time, as you say, you have an advantage in terms of humidity. Whereas anyone doing green trees here in Colorado, man, I, you know, it's, it's a lot of work. Because it's just so, so darn dry, whereas at least, You're in East Texas, right, Mike? Yes, yes. Yeah, so, I mean, at least you have, you know, for better or worse, for your sake, you know, you have some humidity. You definitely feel it a little bit.
3: And and it's funny you mention that because there is an outfit in Colorado that breeds rainbow boas. And that's also another higher humidity animal. And they're very successful. They have that bullseye (laughs) line or something. I can't remember the, the outfit, but... Yeah, and and they successfully breed them year after year after year, and I thought, wow. So yeah, you,
0: you,
3: they may have to be doing some more stuff, like I'm doing total stuff in and out, you know, every day. But <laughs> sure. you do what you got to do, and, and you know. know, 'cause I always wanted them, and, and like you were saying with the inland, about being a kind of a good uh, pet species, because you're right. I've never been bit by an inland, never. Reach in, pick them up no problems. And the color they have, and I think that's what got me the most when I first saw them, is if you flip over, they, they have a really nice color on the on the back. And I've noticed there's a distinct color difference between the Schofield line and the Mog line. But I haven't really seen a belly of the Mog line. But the Schofield has this slate, gray, blue gunmetal looking color that just, wow. that is That is just Gorgeous, and being a smaller species, and it's a carpet python, and it's got a good temperament. I mean, you can't beat it. Yeah, I love them.
2: <clears throat> is the uh, this either to either you guys? So is the Harris line distinct from the Schofield, or is, are those the same snakes we're talking about?
3: Uh, Harris, I believe, only had the Schofield. He may have Mog line now, but all yeah, the original both. ones were were uh, Schofield line. Okay, because that was all the original ones that came in when Componeto brought in, and the next either the next year or two years later when Nick brought some in, where I got mine, they were all from from Harris. And then I think the the other line popped up a little bit later. So. those
2: were the ones that Terry had brought in. Is that correct? was
1: that? I uh, think so. Okay. Terry Phillip?
2: Yeah, I was thinking, which was the ones that he had, Eric? He had one or the other, but I don't remember
1: which. Uh, I think he has the Mog line, but I know Paul, well, I got both of mine from Paul, so <laughs> they. Okay. I know both lines come from uh, that Paul has both. From, so. That he has both. Yeah. I just
2: remember maybe it was, spray. you know, maybe since Paul Schofield was less known that it was framed as Harris line at some point. Is that does that make some sense to you or Um
1: uh,
2: or maybe, I think, maybe the Harris line was a mix of both or I I don't know.
1: Are you thinking about breadline? Because I know there's a Harris Is bread, that bread lie line? Line.
2: Yes. Yeah, no, Yeah, I, I,
1: that's I, bread I, lie.
2: I feel like the original maybe I'm just thinking of Nick. Maybe he was saying he didn't want to get into the Schofield thing. Maybe he was just saying it's Harris and Maul but meaning Schofield. Okay, fair enough. Little yeah.
1: diagram. <laughs> I have uh I'll have to post it up too. I have I wanna say I'll look it up. I have the founding animal pictures of those founding animals uh from both those bloodlines. <clears throat> oh wow. Cool. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. I wanna say they were from Sweden. I don't think that they I I don't think that Terry imported he might have got those in, but I don't think he unless he's working with a different bloodline that we don't know about. What do you know? What do you know, you know Ron? I think most of Terry's
3: <laughs> I think most of Terry's had come in was through the zoo. At first when he had them, it did it wasn't necessarily a, a private collection per se is what he had at the zoo. He was actually able to get some to work with at the zoo. Sure. Now, yeah. Now I think he got yeah. some later private You know, for his own collection, but I think the first um, was uh, animals that was worked at
1: at the zoo. Okay, I just got an update over in the chat, and uh, on Terry's website, he's working with three bloodlines. So he must have got, he must have the other two and then have another one.
0: Yeah.
3: Oh, well, he might have got some offspring from the zoo stock then. They may have came from a zoo.
1: I don't know. That'd be interesting to find out. Hmm. Rob, you know secrets that we don't know about. Hmm.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, although I was yeah. distracted at this point by Scott posting these parentheses. I mean, this is just telling this same You know, that's not right. This uh, is not right.
3: right. Yeah. Well, I, I know Owen's dying at the bit over there, so uh, I, I want to talk about the Savu. Uh, <laughs> hold
1: on,
2: let's, I, let's, uh, let's hold in for one more second. Okay. just, just for our <laughs> own sake, let's hold him on for one more second. I wanted to know what's the update on those uh Calibar Python. Do you still are you still working with them? Uh yes I am.
3: Uh I'm actually down to very few animals at the moment. Uh was looking at uh I was this show a couple weeks ago and it was one of those shows that if it had been a little bit better I would have bought some more animals to bring into it. Um haven't had a whole lot of success with them as of yet, but uh something I do not plan on giving up on i I just think any time that you're successful on breeding you know animals balls, carpets, you know the saw, everything else, there's other animals that are in the in the industry that just get looked upon as a throwaway animal because okay. you can still import. The calibars, but if at some point they say don't allow it anymore, uh, then what's going to happen? They're going to disappear. And they're they're rough because, I mean, they lay like three eggs at a time. That's it. Once a year, if they lay, it's three eggs. You got to have a a pretty good sized colony to have a decent assurance colony. So, you know, I I looked at this because, and I can't remember how many years ago it was, but uh, I had talked with a guy out of New York, and Haiti had uh, recently just opened back up, I guess, their borders or such for international transport. So that's when I had got in the Haitian boas that were wild-caught. Haitian boas. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got Ford's boas, and I got some. Um, I believe they called it what like a that? green vine boa. It was gracilis. And it was gracilis. Sure. At, at that time, at that time, everything was Epicrates. I know yeah, they yeah, changed. Yeah, yeah. Everything's changed now. I I, I hadn't even kept up with it because I, you know, everything constantly gets a different yes, Latin name I mean, now. It's you know we just stick with pipe python, yeah. because that's what we grew up with. But <laughs> at that time, everything was up a crazy. So with Fordi, there was the uh, – I can't remember what the Haitian was, but then I had the gracilis. And it was a very – Stratus,
2: Stratus, and then the – Yeah, yeah and
3: there. I also had uh, a Berry Island boa. I actually had a pair of those. Right. Okay. And at that time, since we're going in the forge I uh, had, had kept them. Got them where everybody was kind of thriving. The gracilis didn't do as well for me. Uh, Being a very slender, it was kind of like um, some of those uh, uh, boy guy, boy guy. uh, Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of those uh, really skinny snakes that they got to have a specialized diet. And it was hard trying to get stuff to get them. I would try some assist feeding and other stuff, and they just didn't do well for me. Um, But I got the forge boas. Everything was eating good. The Haitian boas, everything was eating good and kinda of did a little bit of cooling, did a little research and and tried to see what I could do and had paired the Fords up. And bringing back all old history, I uh had got divorced or was going through divorce right. and had to move, so it was like, I've got to sell these animals off. And at the time I, you know, was taking a few pictures and posting them up and uh I can't remember the guy's name now, but he bought the Fords Boas and I was taking right. pictures, and I got to looking at it, and I said, man, this female's gravid. It I was just I was sick to my stomach after this female's gravid. And I'd already made a deal on the price. If I'd known, you know, if, if I'd known she yeah. was gravid for sure, the price would have went up. But right. we already settled on the price, shipped them. He sent me pictures and let me know, contacted me, let me know. that He had, a, I think it was like three or four little babies. But I want to say yeah. he was out in... Like New Mexico or somewhere, and he could get these little small, like little pistols yeah. or something to be able to start them on. Yeah. And so it was perfect for him to be able to do that. So I was glad they went to somebody that could take care of them. And, you know, it kind of brought back when I seen – I was just cruising Kingsnake one day, and boom, there's this ad. It goes back to <laughs> the history. got my name yeah. on it that he got from me, and I was like, yeah. I said, that was, that was one of those I could chalk up – man – I bred Ford's bows, but they weren't still in my possession. Right when she dropped them, when yeah. that litter dropped. So I don't, I don't credit myself with them, you know. Uh, yeah. Unlike the Savus, which <laughs> Nick, Nick is gonna hates it because Nick has yet to breed Savus.
4: <laughs>
3: he gets so mad at me every time. He's like, "You got another clutch out of them Savus? I said, "Yeah," and he just, he said, "I've not bred them yet." And now, granted, he's bred a lot of stuff. I haven't. So I'd I, sure. say we're about even. Couple was really nice. I liked them. And, I mean, I kept them in, like, 12-quart tubs. They were really – they didn't right. get very thin, I mean, and that was what I liked about they're, them. They're
2: little. They're, like, kind of rosy-boa size sort of, right?
3: Yeah, and the male is – it's kind of like Kenyan sand boas in a way that the okay. male – they're sexually dimorphic. The male was quite a bit right. smaller. You know, the female would probably – you know, mice hoppers to kind of a sub-adult mouse. And the really? male was like fuzzy, a smaller fuzzy. Hmm.
4: So, yeah. I mean, yeah,
3: I, I, cool. I don't know if
2: you heard the show, Jeff, uh, Jeff Murray, who works on West Indian bows was on here talking to these guys. And I was on here as mm-hmm. well, just to, just try and help them out with the Latin names and all that jazz to, to smooth yeah. the edges over it. But, uh, you know, that was really cool. And I know they're one of his favorites, you know, and certainly Jeff's willing to feed him lizards and things. And I know I'm certain Puerto Rican is on anoles right now. And some of that, I mean, that's what you want. You can try mice or soppers or whatever, and they just say no. But, man, you toss them alive and frown anole, and they, they go right for it. So I think you have to – it's just one of those things, you know. You You put in the – Put in the effort and it'll work out, but that's really cool. So those ones that he got from you, I know he had, he had posted them saying they were from you or the adults mm-hmm. were from you, but those were wild snakes. Then, okay, the adults the were, with were,
3: were wild, wild snakes. Okay, yeah, the only all of those all the the insoliprocrides I got at that time were wild, except for the Berry Island boas. Those were captive bred.
2: Okay,
3: but everything else was yeah. wild, and and the Haitians I think I sold to uh, Brian Hummel and then he later sold them, and I don't remember who got them after that, but, because he was doing, you know, rainbow boas and all that stuff, sure. so he kind of fit in with what he was wanting to. I think he bred them once or twice, and then sold them.
2: Yeah, they're a little bit, you know, less ornate, for sure, you know, in terms of the yeah, look. Yeah, yeah. Although, I mean, Owen, our resident boa guy has uh, the Dominican Red Mountain boas that he just loves so much, and those are the same, you know, species, subspecies as those Haitian boas, so... Maybe
0: yeah. You know, yeah. It's a
3: darn shame he couldn't have bought them because he loved them. Yeah, like I said, this was, <laughs> man, 2000. I think
0: it was 2006. That's 2006 when I sold them. Wow, that's a so, little, yeah, <laughs> long time ago. ago yeah.
3: yeah, yeah. All kinds of horrible flashbacks.
0: <laughs>
3: <laughs> but uh, it is what it is. But, Very good. Yeah, I mean, I, I enjoyed I enjoyed working with them and, and with different species, and it's uh, kind of one of the reasons I got into uh, the rosies. I had had some rosy boas before, and thought about kind of branching and doing a couple of different stuff because you know everybody in their grandma breeds ball pythons. Yeah, and I think a couple people have their dogs doing it now too, but
4: uh, <laughs> it's just like e-
3: everybody's doing them, and I, I I still love them. I I, I love being able to, the color and the pattern, and, and they are really, for like a seven or eight-year-old kid, until I can produce Inlands, it's a great beginner snake. I mean, it's hard to sell an eight-year-old kid. Know. This Mike, carpet you're, you're... And he just bites the crap out of them, you know?
2: Mike, I don't know. You're facing a tough room with that one, as both Eric and I have uh, <laughs> yeah. a little <royal> python, <laughs> <laughs> on he prefers and man. They have a fast strike, and they'll bite you in the chest while you're trying to feed them a rodent. I'll tell you why <laughs> so I, I don't know we we both think that's maybe a little bit of sales pitch, but we'll give you some room you know <laughs>
0: i've, I've had
3: I've had a few i I had one head albino female that she she lunged straight out the cage every time when she knew food was coming, but for the most part, they were you know pretty laid back and and for a show aspect uh they are more laid back. Uh, you know, you'll have yes. a couple of carpets that are, are kind of laid back at the show because the temperatures are different, especially if you drove to the show that morning, you know, and they kind of yeah. set up. They're still kind of trying to get their equilibrium or whatever back. So they may be kind of cool at first, and I always tell them, well, when you get home, give it a couple of days to get settled <laughs> in. It's not going to have the same attitude, but you've got to handle it and work with it, and, and they'll calm down, For you know, for the most part. they become really great snakes if you've got the time to work with them. So, you know, the Inlands, I haven't had that issue with. The Sabas, same way. Those are one that my daughters growing up could just reach in a cage and pick them out. I always told them, don't touch my carpet. Don't mess with those.
0: <laughs> balls." I could,
3: you know, I mean, you kind of, when you start working with your snakes, you know which ones sure. that people just can't come up and grab. So I did have right. a few ball pythons that were like that. But for the most part, yeah, go ahead, grab that one, go whatever. And let me go over here and work. And so the saw wounds, they could reach in and grab and, and pick up. So, you know, when I, I looked at something that was orange as babies, and it had this look to their eyes. And then as they got older, like you said, the colors kind of, man, kind of depressing in a way when, it, when you get a really slate. I've got uh, my male has a lot more freckling. So he's got mm-hmm. more of a, I guess, color palette to him. But the eyes, Correct. the eyes and the belly, like yeah. hands down, boom, them eyes hit you every time. And like I said, they're very, they're very placid, laid back, and it was just something uh, different about them that, and in, in, uh you know I've had Macklots, and <laughs> yeah, they these were a whole lot tamer <laughs> than Macklots. So uh, oh yeah,
2: they and you breed them a little bit differently, right? You take them. Um, you said they're more like a colubrid in terms of the seasonality, right? That
3: yeah, yeah. Salus. And, and with the Savus and, and going back, I, I always try to take a little bit from – it's one of those that you try to do a lot of listening. I would be at shows and you would listen. To, I mean, that's how we all kind of learn a lot of stuff, you know, outside of reading books or whatever and then forum, I, I would listen to guys talking and going to different shows. And all the people – Back in the day, that had savus were all Kluber guys. I never saw somebody that was breeding pythons that had savus. It was always a Kluber guy. So when I wound up acquiring some, um, I wind up keeping them a little bit cooler, and it's not that much cooler. But what I do is we all kind of have the racking system in the, in the sweater box tub, and I keep them in the bottom two tub, the male on the bottom, female above him. And so right there at the floor is always a little bit cooler. And it's just enough to give them a little bit of difference in the temperature than the higher elevation in the rack. And they're late-season se- late- late breeders. I know I tried to put them together in April when I would do, you know, like the Brisbane's or, you know, you would do brettles or some other stuff, late season. They're later than that. They would hmm. all just eat fine. And I'm like, okay, nothing's going on. So I was like, well, let's go ahead and keep trying it. So it was like June. And I, the male starts going off feed. You just won't eat. And you put them in, boom, June. And then you wind up having babies. You get eggs and late. Now, I don't think the babies. Let's see. I got eggs on uh, August 28th. Wow. That's when I got eggs from them.
0: Yeah, so it I mean, it, it takes intense, a little bit longer.
2: Right? where they're from, they're not going to be, you know, it's not, it's more of a wet, dry season rather than a temperature. You know, they're pretty close to the, Mm -hmm. you know,
1: um,
2: pretty close there. So they're probably not getting a huge swing in temperature. So they're more able to just go, you know, maybe it's getting dry, especially there in East Texas. I'm sure the winter's still, especially if you're heating it, it's going to dry out. So maybe it's more of a dry and wet, even in the temperature. So they're just going off that and, they're just not as strongly seasonal as this stuff that's further south. Yeah. I mean, it's it's
3: possible. Yeah.
2: Hmm.
3: It's just one of those, that's what works for me. You know, (laughs) different areas may be a little bit different, but that, that's what's worked for me and and I've been successful doing it that
2: way. Yeah. And do that. I mean, it seems, man, the interest just seems huge. I was looking through your page and, man, everything that had Sabu's had six or eight comments at least and all this stuff I'm sure you're selling, you sell them out. I said, well, maybe I want some, but I'm sure Mike's all sold out already.
3: No, i still got every one of them. Really? Well, that's yeah. what Facebook's they,
0: uh,
3: the, 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 <laughs> the thing that I've found, found with the Sabu's is they are harder, and I don't know why, but they're harder to get started eating. Uh, a lot of times, once I get them to start eating, they're sporadic. And they only want to eat live. I got them to where they would start eating live rat pinkies. And you have to get them to almost a year old before they'll kind of start to switch to something frozen sauce, like my adults oh, do. But, it, it, you I mean, you'll get them to eat. It's like, oh, cool. Then the next time, they won't eat. Then it's like every other time or every third time. So... Either I was trying, and, and now that I say that, I, being that it's a smaller species and from the habitat, they may not have as high metabolism. So the fact that they're skipping a meal may not be so yeah. much that they're skipping it. It's just that they're and not I'm eating hungry. it other meal. Yeah, yeah. 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 Hmm. But none of these babies so far have started on anything yet. Like I said, that surprised me that, out of everything else that goes to ASFs, they haven't touched it yet.
2: So if they if they don't show a reaction, are you gonna assist them tails or what do you what do you usually do Yeah, I'll that? probably
3: I'll probably assist them tails. I may try I may try to do a little something different in uh I might do half where I'll do like a gecko and try to sit with a gecko and then I might even try like mm-hmm. Tuna juice like we do hog nose with the other half, just to see if I get more interest one way or the other and see if something triggers them to kind of get started that way. Because it's still, I mean, right. I've produced them a few times, but, you know, some years are better than others and getting them right. started. This yeah, year, that's from
2: the same pair, I've had a lot right? of stuff
3: yeah. that was, yeah, yeah, same pair. Yeah. Okay. And I really wanted to get into, uh, they've got these silver ones.
0: Yeah. That I believe
3: are an- anathoristic, I believe.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's uh, I'm not sure like, they're exotic.
3: Yeah. yeah, sure. And uh, they I mean, wanted I mean, like those
2: aren't new. That's that's the crazy thing. I I remember Eric and I were talking about this a long time ago. I remember seeing an ad in the Vivarium and the classifieds for those things initially back. So that'd be ninety four, ninety five, something like that. But I think Mark Bell is the one who's really doing work with them now.
3: Yeah, yeah. I actually contacted him. I think it was early this year.
2: He had some.
3: But they're like seven fifty a piece. Yeah, seven fifty. Yeah, something like
0: that. Yeah, yeah, they're
3: they're they're not cheap, and so that was like okay. Well, there goes another jar. <laughs> Although that jar got that got moved out of that jar into something else, so I, I've got to create another jar for that. But
0: oh, I, I like the look of those,
3: and <laughs> I won't have nothing but jars. So you know, the next time we have a car <laughs> I'm gonna have a bunch of jars with me. That's so awesome. have to Keep going. You know, we had yeah. the margarita machine. Everybody brought in something to drink. I'll be going back right. out the car, bringing my jars in,
0: <laughs>
1: taking donations. Mike's GoFundMe page. Jars. Yeah, right. yeah, there you go.
3: <laughs> but, you, you know, you it's, it's one of those, I, 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 since I've been successful breeding them, I'd like to try with those other ones to find out. Because I don't know if they know if it's a recessive or if it's just something different yet, like if it's a dominant gene. That has a different color. I don't think they've proved that one way or the other yet.
2: Yeah, I certainly haven't seen, like, quote, head, you know, head Silver, mm-hmm. head Exantic, or head Henry. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. I, that's entirely false you'd think it would be something like that, but especially being around for that length of time. But, yeah, I mean, it's just, I, I don't know. I'm with you. I don't know for sure.
3: Well, that's kind of you know, when the when the tiger trait came out, at first it was thought to be recessive then it was co dominant then it's like, well, we don't know what it is. It's just you produce <laughs> a nice tiger and sometimes you don't. Yeah. It, you know, and um I you know, I, I wanna be able to work with it to say one way or the other. It's like that. You don't know what you're gonna get. Or you know, it's it's proving to be dominant or it's proving to be a you know, a recessive mutation, you know just to see, but I I, I like the look of them. I've seen seen some of the adults, and, you know, it's like we said, we kind of got disappointed when we see what the adults look like as far as those that are more of a kind of dark, solid color. But having something that's a little bit lighter and still has those eyes, it's like, wow, that that could be something a little bit different, you know. So, yeah, it's definitely something I would like to, to venture into at some point, but, you know, we'll see. Right.
2: Well, I mean, as Eric and I always say, right, there's just too many, there's too many great snakes out there. That's the problem.
1: You
0: know, it's, like, yeah.
2: it's always something,
0: you
1: know, Uh uh-huh. <laughs> as soon as you think you got everything you wanted, something else comes along and you're like, God, man, <laughs> Damn! I thought it was John. I'm going to have to start getting jars. Yep, yep. That's what I need. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh. Well, it's like, you know, I've got, I did the rosy
3: boas, and then I started, okay, let me do a, let's try hog hognose, just to, just to see, and, you know, whether I stick with them or not, you know, I just want to be able, yep, I've bred them, and, you know, it's kind of like a checklist, once you start brewing mm-hmm. a couple, it's like, okay, well, I've done Borneo short tails, you know, I can add that to the checklist, and, but I wanted to move on to something else, so you sell the offspring, and you sell the adults, and then you move to something yeah. else, and, you know, it's just kind of one of those things. You just want to see what else you can do. And then with the coastals, or, or for me, for the carpets, there's still such an open door with just the selective breeding. And now that we've got a few
1: mutations,
3: uh, I think the Xanthic going to open up a lot.
1: Well, I would imagine that eventually when the albino coastal is proved out and somehow falls through the hole in germany and somehow ends up mm-hmm. over here and uh eb morelia snake room
0: <laughs>
1: one day oh yeah uh, did you know
0: that's the
3: first place it's going if you already you're not telling anybody we already know you got a big jar a big jar that's week yeah. you couldn't go to Oz.
1: that jar <laughs> over there
3: is full that was ready you're that's waiting right. on that possibility
1: You got to have the funds ready to go, you know? That's the only way you can compete with the big guys, you know what I mean? (laughs) Uh Yeah, oh yeah. But that opens up, you know, uh, snow coastals, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. And you're not messing with, uh, you know, doing crosses anymore. So, moon glow coastals and all kind of crazy stuff, you know? We'll, We'll finally get that white coastal carpet. That we've been trying to get for years and years. That well, you know, grail. Then,
3: you know, you never know. There might be a possibility of uh, of, of a different hypo because you know we've considered the caramel to be kind of a hypo mutation, but you never know what kind of pops up or gets produced. That wow, now you've got a, a hypo mutation in coastal. So then you get to add that. You know, I,
1: since, um, since you brought since you brought that up, real quick. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think, I can't think of, it seems like maybe me and you are the only guys that are working with both Red and Carmel. Um, I can't think of anybody else. They're either in one camp or the other. Um, even Nick, he doesn't have any Red stuff. Uh, what What are your feelings mm-hmm. on, you think they're similar? Do you think that, you know, is it something that eventually you're going to kind of cross or are you just breeding them? and comparing them together type of deal?
3: Well, I'm not ready to cross them yet. Um, I do believe they're different. Uh, The Reds that I have, uh, let's see. I I haven't proved that they're more or less like one way or the other. I would would bet that at some point in time in its ancestry – came from the Southern Range because that's typically where all your red coastals come from is somewhere in that Southern Range, whether it was Brisbane or another locality. And the, these reds that I've got, I've got some that are like brick red. I've got some that's um, – I, if I could get a decent camera shot to show you what some of these – this year's babies and some that I've held back from last year – You'd be getting another jar. <laughs> right. Because yeah.
0: I, I I'm looking at them and it's
3: like, okay, that one's a hold back. That one's a hold back. We'll hold this back for a little while and see what it looks like. I mean, I, I've got some to the point. I actually have not just a stripe, but it's a pinstripe down the back, and Get it out. red everywhere else. Yeah. And oh, so man. I'm wanting to kind of raise these, and then the only other people now. That you got red because you got a lot of your stuff from what? Madam Blueberry's line or did you get it from Jason Balin? Uh,
1: Both. Uh, I have it through Luke Snell and through Jason Balin, yeah. Okay, but I don't so know if have Balin that. has red... got some awesome looking reds. Yeah, yeah. I have red tigers, red jags, and then the coastal stuff that I have that. Um, came from Madam Blueberry. Well, it's all from Madam Blueberry, but I got it from Luke Snell mm-hmm. and and Jason. So. Okay. That might be something. We might have to do some talking later on just to kind of see what we've
3: got because as far as I know, mine has no lineage with Madam Blueberry. Really? At all. Yeah.
1: That's we so it, interesting. It,
3: it's a separate red line. And like I said, I, it, it, this this is where my problem comes in because working the regular job and trying to take care of snakes and all the other things, you know, to do with life, taking mm-hmm. pictures is the ultimate, like, ah, oh, drag.
0: Because <laughs>
3: not only are you a snake breeder, you're a poop cleaner, you know, you've got to be your own PR person, you got to be your own sales rep. You know, computer support, which I'm, um, I, I got to try to get a website going. I just <laughs> haven't decided to. I, I, that is like one thing that I'm not really smart in, and so I just really haven't messed with it. And, um, but you'll try to get something set up. It's like, okay, I got a day aside. I'm going to try to set something for pictures, and you start, oh, well, this one's instead. Well, so much for that. You know, it's it, trying yeah. to get time and set up space to do pictures, and then, this snake's in shed or this one doesn't want to cooperate, and you got to get them to kind of chill out. So you got to find something else to do while you got them kind of in that small space waiting to pop the lid take a picture. And then, oh, well, I'm going to get this whole rack or all these babies. Well, half of them are in shed. This one, you know, been soaking in a water bowl. So then like IJs, IJs are bad soaking a water bowl, and then they get those uh, like mineral deposits on their skin. And you have yep. this weird kind of crystalline look. And it's like, what's wrong with your snake? <sighs> you just have to know. Mm-hmm.
0: You know, that's that's just <laughs> part of it,
3: you know. And and trying to get pictures for everything is like, oh, it's such a drag. It's like pulling teeth for me. Take a picture, it's like, it doesn't do the snake justice. And then you got to try to figure out how to edit, do this, do that. And then you go to the computer and edit. It's like, man, you're taking more time doing that, you know, then. I got snake cages out there that need to be cleaned or something needs to be fed, you know?
1: I'll tell you what, Mike, I'll, I'll start a jar and I'll fill that jar up. I'll bring it down the carpet fest. <laughs> I'll bring down my camera and my light tent and I'll take some pictures and then I'll take some carpets. I'll give you the jar and that, you know, we can, <laughs> we, can post a, we can post them up for you. It'd be good as gold. Yeah, there you go. That'll work. That'll work.
4: <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm uh, sure
3: I'd get something for you because, I mean, I would like to see what the combination does. I've seen some of the stuff that, that Balin's had, and I've wanted to introduce, you know, I, w- I want to find the right one to go with,
4: uh-huh.
3: you know, a similar-looking one of what I've got just to see if you're going to produce something that's all reds, you know. Is it is it a polygenetic mutation?
4: You know, right. is it
3: something to be dominant in that particular area? In the range of coastals is red dominant because, you know, they blend in with their background. So is there a certain area where it has more red sand or or red cliffs that they mesh better in so that it becomes more of a dominant trait in that area versus 20 kilometers down the road? So I right. think there's still a lot to be played with in there. And then being able to add Atlantic into it, you know, see what that does.
1: Yeah, they're I I don't know. I, I think they're going to be uh, pretty stellar animals for sure, in, in my opinion. Um,
3: yeah, and and I just I like the look of them. There's just something about them, and you know I've got some that are like a very high contrast red, so they've mm-hmm. got a lot of pattern, uh, very clean color, and more of a kind of like a hypo brittle, but brighter, not that dark of red, but kind of more of an orange red. Then I have some that is a very dark red with not as much contrast. Right. And then I'll get some and that are a, uh, I guess for lack of a better word, they're black. And my huh. original male actually, as he matured, kind of became black. Now, it's not black, black like, uh, what was it, Poison Ivy, the, the IJ, yeah. the dark IJ. It's not yeah. that dark, but if you look at it, you can actually see, like, red tones in the dark color. Huh. And I've got a couple like that. So my original male has since passed. I kept three of his offspring, and that's where all my reds are coming from right now. Because I bred him to uh, Limpy Stripe, my M-Pen stripe, uh 2002 animal. And kept three of those offspring and raised those up, and that's where my reds are all coming from right now. So being that it's, I mean, I probably could do another generation or two, but I would really like to try to introduce another red just to add that that extra bloodline just
1: to kind of see, you know,
3: before I go too far.
1: Right. Yeah, I'm surprised. Well, I I mean, eventually we're going to have hypo-coastals here at some point. And, uh, you know, then we would have all these different types of, you know, red going on. And it's going to be interesting to see how uh, how it mixes up for sure.
3: Well, what we can do is we'll go ahead and put this out there. Eric and I will be uh, collecting. We want all the listeners to go ahead and start jars because
4: when those hypocosals
3: come in, and Eric and I had these red coastals to produce hypo red, you're going to need those jars and big jars, big full that's jars right. to be able to get a hold of those. And I think
1: this is probably more like it, those. We may let a few go. Yeah, it's probably like those, you know, the, the big jug of water that goes on top of a, a water cooler? That's, that's probably yep, more of yep. size. Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. And and more more of the stuff that folds and not really the stuff that jingles.
1: That's right. <laughs> really cool. Yeah, yeah. Like that. It's high end. That's how we go. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Uh, when
3: all the hard work we put into it.
0: Yeah.
2: No doubt. What's that, Rob? Who's who's the guy up by you who had all those crazy coastals? Oh, you Jay on the show on. Yeah,
1: Jamie Clear. Yeah, what's the deal with those? Yeah uh he has hypos uh and he has this other crazy coastal mutation which is proven and it actually had him for sale at the uh White Plains show um i think the only problem with those coastals which almost look like uh i guess i would say like a zebra version of a coastal um mm-hmm. is that it's you can't tell that it's a uh, pure coastal Right Now for my for my cross projects that's fine, but you know I I I couldn't say sure. that that's a coastal, you know, hundred percent. Right. But because they're like an pet shop awesome animals thing. or something like that, right? Uh, yeah, I think he bought it at a show. Um mm-hmm. So yeah, he's mm. the king of dinker projects, you know. <laughs> yeah,
3: and and. I remember looking at some of those animals years ago and Uh he had those, those hypos and it was, you could tell, there's definitely something different about them, but it was like, there there was too much kind of sketchy stuff that, you know, you just didn't want to go ahead and just go full throttle into it. They're interesting. I mean, very good looking animals. And I I don't know if I've seen the, the new one you're talking about, but I remember when he had some of those hypos and, didn't know for sure if anything had proved out, but they were definitely a good-looking animal, and and uh, but there was would, would a lot of, I guess, sketchy stuff. And then at one point he had uh, he brought some stuff in, some other stuff that came in, yes, that wasn't from a show that that had came in from outside the borders. And I don't know exactly where, but you know,
4: that's you know, a nice that little phrase you know, there, baby. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it
1: <laughs> sketchy. <laughs> <laughs> the infamous sketchy. I like it. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's cool. All right. What else you got, Rob? You got anything else?
2: Yeah, well, uh, you know you know me and my love for the rosy bows, Eric. So what – I saw you had a litter of those uh, yuccas, right? Is that right, Mike? Yeah, yucca valleys. Yeah, I did. Yeah, so is is that all the ones you're working with? I know I got, I don't know, maybe a half dozen different types here, and I produce the box games every year, and I like them quite a bit. What, uh, are you working with other stuff, and how do you like well, them? Well, yeah, or? I'm working, uh, well, like
3: I said, I, I, I had had some before. I think I had Mexican rosies, and I had an albino whitewater. And uh-huh. when I got rid of the Forge Boas and all that other stuff, that was lot, really one of my main focus, so all that stuff got sold, too. And I, I was kind of looking at a couple of different things. You know, as, you, as you're going to show, you tend to see a lot of the same stuff. I'm known for Coastals, but when I do shows in the Dallas, Fort Worth area, and a lot around Texas, most of all the people that that really into Coastals outside of a new person coming in already have stuff for me. And so I'm looking at different ways to be able to make my overhead, so to speak, you know, table,
2: hotel, and this other stuff.
3: And like I said, everybody breeds ball. So at one time, that kind of helped cover the table because unless somebody really knows what they're looking for, a coastal is not one of those, let's go to this table and get. You become, oh, that's MPM. Let me go talk to him. You check out the coastal. Then when you see him, and, and I've had a couple of people, man, I think those are a little high. I said, well, walk around the show, see what the other ones you see out there, and then come back. And they come back because a lot of the other ones, there's not really much history on them. They're just an average coastal. from, And it's not really another breeder. It's a jobber that has them. So you don't really yeah. know where they came from. But to get back, I'm I, I kind of looking at different – different things to be able to put on the table and not i don't want to be a jobber i want to be able to stuff that i've produced myself so you know i've got the the sabus and then you know i tried to get the Angolan. so hopefully this year i should have Angolan. um you know and and i had a couple of different clue russian rats and japanese rats so i went done a show back in kind of my home state of kansas uh earlier this year and there was a Older man up there that had uh, some rosy boas, and I was talking with him for a little bit. And he had uh, probably about six or seven adult pairs. It already cooled, and uh, I was like, you know what? I think I bought one pair and then traded a ball python of nothing else uh, for like four <laughs> pair and uh, a younger pair. So I picked up uh, Yucca Valley. um uh,
0: what
3: was the other one? There you go. go. Oh, Joshua Tree. okay. And Anza uh, On- Borrego. Anza Borrego.
2: Yes, I like those a lot.
3: And yeah. there's there's a lot of different localities, but I wanted something that would be appealing to me. I like Mexican rosies, but for for me, they weren't as appealing to me to come up to a table and say I want that. Now, if I did yeah. nothing but rosies or a lot of that, then that's kind of my forte because I do rosies. But for me to do basically coastals, where I have a variety, and to have some other stuff, I want something that would be appealing to me. So, you know, there was a couple more i like to get into. Not so much on the morphs as much, but just a naturally occurring, This is what you find in this area. Yeah. And um, I already got told I had to keep one of the babies back because these – uh, little babies were actually born on my oldest daughter's birthday. Uh, the day she turned 18, I was out here in the snake room, and there's a litter litter of babies. So I got told I have to keep one back. So I'll be doing that one. But it, it was just something I, I liked them. They were small. Um, you know, for for somebody to keep in something that's in a, a 10, 20-gallon aquarium, uh, for the average person to be able to keep and doesn't get too large and food requirements. And even for, you know, younger kids don't, you don't keep water in there. That's been my hardest thing right now is the fact of, okay, it's been about a week, week and a half. Let me put a little container of water in there. Let them get some water, then take it out, you know, because you don't want that, that humidity in that cage. And, uh, made that mistake a time or two, and then they'll regurg. I don't yeah.
2: know if
3: you've had that happen.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's more rare here because we, you know, don't believe in that thing called humidity. But, uh, uh-huh. yeah, no, I mean, I've I've seen it especially, seems like here, especially if, you know, with the small stuff, if you feed them and then they uh, go take a big drink, I think, because where they come from, they really don't see standing water, so they go take a big yeah. drink whenever they see it, and then, yeah, and they'll puke it, you know, so it'll happen occasionally. When they're real little, and you just say, "Okay, pull the waters," but generally speaking, I can keep them in here. Um, but sometimes mm-hmm. with the the freshborn, you know, after they take that first feed, it's like, "Yeah, I just pull it," within that first, you know, for that first day or two at least, and then and they'll be fine. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so I've seen it a, a half dozen times or whatever, but you know, over dozens of snakes. But I know what I know what you're talking about, and if same thing that you said, if people are in a different spot where you know, you actually have relative humidity that's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, that's what you do. You just you either let the bowl go dry and then you sit it for a week and then you add some more, you just pull it or whatever you're going to do to to do that so that they don't, uh, you know, they don't just see fresh water and say, oh, I got to go take a huge drink.
3: Mm-hmm. Because it's something that they don't see very often, like you said, with the standing water that uh they'll they'll kind of gorge down on it because they their habitat they don't know when they're going to see it again and yeah. right after they eat or even a few days after they eat
0: uh yeah.
3: i've still had them regurged after that so that's kind of been my hard thing is trying to trying to kind of get a routine of, of when i feed and then kind of try to do the water because i know we were talking i think eric and uh, i were talking at carpet fest you 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 try to get a routine on feeding, just because you always have to go around your work schedules. <laughs> and the, as, as hectic as mine is, I can't even get a solid day that, okay, every Tuesday is feeding day or Tuesdays and Thursdays. I just feed when I have time. So they may go seven days. They may go 11 days. But I think it kind of goes in, in clue with when – you know, in the wild. They don't have a opportunity to gotta go start looking for food.
4: <laughs> they
3: just you know, they look for it. Their their stomach doesn't work like ours where that gastric juice is always flowing. That if they right. don't eat it's causing issues. I mean it's oh here's food, now it flows and kicks in. So you know, I, I think that's helped me a little bit um, giving them a little bit of varied diet. And then, like with the carpets, I try to feed uh, quail and stuff from time to time just to, just to give them a little bit of something different. I don't think so much on different uh, vitamins and minerals, but just to give them a little bit of variation in the diet. Because too much fowl, they get runny stools. Yeah. Or at least down here. Yeah, yeah I've heard that. that mm-hmm. Sorry, Rob. So, what do you have <laughs>
2: in terms of Angolans? No, you're you're sweet, uh, Eric. Don't worry about it. But what uh, <laughs> what do you have in terms of the Angolans? Uh, I
3: just I just have I just have the one pair of Ang. Well, I've got a one adult pair, and then I've got a younger female that uh, she may go twenty eighteen. But um, I got my adult female. What I what a figure was adult size last year and kind of towards the end of it, she got to where she was wanting to regurge. Every time she would eat, she'd hold it about four or five days, regurge out, half digested, you know, mm. and I was like, so then, you know, when you start to get an animal of a certain size, you want to feed a little bit larger meal. And it wasn't sure. like, oh, I'm going to feed this ball python a retake meal type thing. It was a, a bigger Meal and so what I found with her is I have to feed like a small rat once a week. Yeah. And, and and just go with that a smaller size on the small side of small rat and she's doing fine. But I think I was like she get up to a certain size, okay? She's she's hit that maturity level as far as age. You know, let's put a little more weight on her right before I kind of cool yeah. them down and. You know, sometimes after that one or two regurg it's hard to get that, that stomach balance and then enzymes kicked back the way yeah. it's supposed to be to get them to go back. And so it took me a little bit uh, of time to kind of get a reset. And uh, I'm, I'm I'm crossing my fingers I should have something out of her next year sometime. Cause, I mean, it, they're, they're another interesting species that uh, they're, I want to say they're fairly common in the hobby because they've been around for a long time, but you just don't see them as much. You might go to show and see one or two. Typically, they sell out pretty quick when when they when they are available, and so that's all that you know the seller has is one or two animals. But they're they're cool, beaded scales and everything, and, and the size, temperament.
1: Yeah, I like them. Uh, I just recently, well, I have a female that's she's about a year. A year old, and I just finally got a male <clears throat> in a trade and stuff. But um, they're cool snakes; I like them a lot.
3: Yeah, and um, go to back. I actually got mine from Sean Christian. Oh no! Uh, kidding. Traded a bunch. Yeah, traded a bunch of ball python
0: <laughs> Really? <laughs> so <laughs> hey, they're <laughs> they're good for something. Uh, well, this uh, this was when Sean
3: was. Um, uh, started to get into a couple of ball pythons then, and so I had produced stuff, right. Yeah, yeah, he was doing hypos and he had some inchy stuff and uh, I think he had some clown stuff too at that time. But yeah, i traded him like, man, I don't even remember what all I traded him. But we we were both happy on the deal, so you know it works. But yeah, I mean, we we all give ball pythons crap, but. They're either good trade bait, you know. There, there's something, and we could sell all we want. They still sell. Otherwise, there wouldn't be that many people doing it. I, I do. I just believe that there's starting to be a very bad oversaturation on the market.
1: Yeah, I I like them too. I mean, they're like kind of. Uh, when I was, I've said this before on the show, but when I was first getting into pythons you know, they were hard to find. You know, I remember seeing them in that Pythons and Boas book by, uh, I think Stafford wrote it. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, they had that picture of the ball python in there. And it was like, oh, well, what's that? And, you know, at the time, everybody was doing like Burmese and and the, and the bigger stuff. And um, I, I remember going to a pet shop and seeing them. And it was just like, oh, wow, that's cool. You know, and I think at the time, nobody gave a crap about ball pythons which is kind of crazy because <laughs> how the world has changed, you know what I mean? But they oh, literally yeah, I mean, were I, like I remember, dirt snakes.
3: I, I remember going to shows when you were finding a couple of of uh, ball pythons and they were like $70 and you could buy a normal Burmese for like 50 I was like, what? Wait a second. This is a smaller snake. It should not cost that much more than a Burmese. I mean, anybody could come up with, you know, 50 bucks, and it right. buys a snake, and then they realize, oh, wow, I can't care for something this large, and and then they, you know, uh, go somewhere, you know, but I, I still got, I probably can dig in my bookcase and find one of the, the old kind of, uh, I want to say it was like TFH publication books or something, when uh, mm-hmm. there was a picture of a pastel ball in it, and they didn't even know if it was genetic yet. It was just like this interesting pastel ball that came out of Africa, you know. Yeah. And, and you know, that was kind of one of the first ones. I think it would, might have been an albino, but I, I remember when a lot of that stuff, everything was all recessive in nature when it was coming out. There was the clown, recessive, the stripe, you know, the albino. And I think that was one of the first species where DOM mutations started popping up. And when they did, they really popped up. It's like every year there was more and more and more coming in that were co-dominant mutations. And it wasn't just dominant. All of a sudden, oh, there's a super form that, wow, this is a solid white snake, you know, which we'd always, it didn't matter what it was. We were always trying to make a solid white snake. Now you can make it for, you know, 50 bucks. Yeah.
0: <laughs>
3: Buy the ingredients, raise them up, and there you go. Yeah.
0: You know? The crazy so thing, it, right? It really mm-hmm. changed
2: it. The The crazy thing is looking at those old books and that sort of stuff and you see stuff like the coffee balls and all that sort of stuff, they were just mm-hmm. wacky looking wacky looking ball pythons that turned out to be nothing and then you get stuff like yellow bellies that more or less look normal unless you really have a trained eye or, you know, are exposed to it and know what it's coming. So before it was established, if you had a, a real sharp eye and you could say, okay, that is different, those turned out to be something. At the same time, man, those coffee balls were something else and I think you know we saw a dozen or two dozen of them imported, and turned out to be nothing. It's crazy, yeah well that's that's kind of like
3: if you know a little on the stories the uh I believe Ralph Davis calls his the goblin is basically mm-hmm. a yellow belly, and he'd had these in his racks, but you and really didn't know well, this new snake came out of Africa, and the story is he put a buttload, and when he said a buttload, he put a boatload of money into this snake, and long, you know, long story short, it was an ivory. He had the ingredients yeah. to make it the whole time, and he <laughs> bought this snake. I mean, he he put a buttload of money into it, then he got it, it was like half frozen, he didn't even think it was going to survive. He was so disappointed all the way back to the house, he like opened the cage and just kind of threw it in the cage, and expected it to die, went in the next morning, still alive, and then he went through process of getting it to feed and everything, and you know, come to find out later, it was an ivory. And he had all this stuff the whole time, you right. know, and it's, you know, it, it, I think that's what's nice as we all are getting older. We have these stories where we go back on and, man, you remember when, you know, those, right. those people now for like the last five years know nothing about the old forum days, you know, everything's on Facebook, everything, everybody's a, you know keyboard jockey came about with the forum days that wasn't a facebook yeah. thing this was forum days you know and yeah. it's like well if i ever see you in public you can be real big <laughs> outside the side of keyboard you know right. cuz like i said we used to get in them arguments on pure versus you know all the time it was it was constant you know debate but those were the old days with it and that was where a lot of the information started coming out to potential and and readers You know, where before, any of us that step back a little bit older, we had to read books. And even the books, you know, you look at some of the older books, weren't even really right. I could get one old book, and it would tell you, keep ball pythons at this uh, temperature range, and another one would have a different temperature range. And I remember reading them, and I was like, you know what, I'm just going to pick this temperature range and go from there and see how it works. And then you kind of adjust and tweak and see where you go from there. And, you know, all the older books with, with carpet python breeding or stuff, there really wasn't much. You just kinda had to right. go, okay, let's let's try to figure out you know, Google which there wasn't even much on Google to try to go and figure, <laughs> okay, this is this is in Australia and this is the temperature range. Maybe you can just pop that all up on your phone now and yeah, it ain't nothing. And and be able to have everything you need, okay, let's just adjust temperatures six months opposite on this side of the world, from over there, and we'll have our temperatures right. We didn't have any of that.
2: Well, now Eric's just using it was all his, trial and error. You know, his online uh, computer app, and it's just going to automatically program to those temps. That's the deal, you know.
1: <laughs> program to yeah. the
2: minute those temps.
1: It's pretty. It's pretty sweet. <laughs> I just want to know how
3: you're going to uh, uh, simulate the electric uh, electric storm. That'd be the interesting one.
4: Yeah.
3: Thunderstorms and stuff we can do, but the electric storms—that's that, a totally. I think I don't know if we actually have electric storms in the states, like they've got over there.
1: Yeah, I've n- nah, I've never. Not that I've seen. That's mm. 2020. Yeah. 2020, man. You're you're pushing ahead. You're pushing ahead. We gotta. You know. Oh okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I, that's a whole other show. That's a whole other yeah. show. Yeah, I jumped yeah. ahead. We can we you can only me a memo take it. On that. <laughs> yeah, it's my fault. <laughs> oh man so uh we're almost uh out of time it's 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 been awesome chatting man um oh wow man i know it went quick right <laughs> yeah dude yeah um let's get your uh info and i don't know do you got shows coming up uh where are you gonna be how people get in touch with you hopefully you'll be at the southern carpet fest when we head on down there and uh
3: yeah i uh If at all possible, I should make it. Um, A a little bit with mine is I work for an air conditioning uh, manufacturing facility. So I build train American Standard air conditioners. And the way we work, I normally work 10, sometimes 12 hours a day. And they have this thing called mandatory Saturdays. And they can schedule us up to... This year it was fourteen, I've been told with a new contract they can do a sixteen. So if I don't already have a vacation day scheduled for Friday before they post that Saturday, I have to work. And even oh. with that, I've got I've got twenty four years seniority. If somebody with thirty years seniority already has that day booked, I can't get off. They and that's you. what happened on this last yeah. Uh, You already rules for the first 30 days. Well, yeah, 30 days. Because after January 31st, then it's first come, first serve. So I try to get all the shows and everything I possibly can if I know by, you know, the first second of January or in that first couple of weeks. I try to put all them days in. And then by the end of January, I know what Mm -hmm. I can kind of make. Now, sometimes I can call in sick. You can only do that so many times, you know. Right. every twelve weeks if you get road up and you got to figure it out, so it long story short, I wasn't able to make it because of a mandatory shatter. I was highly upset. I didn't probably do as much production as I should have, but I was there, and that's what they wanted, so I was there
0: <laughs> but
3: hopefully I'll be able to uh you know make the next one because i really uh i I really wanted to kind of meet Owen. And, uh, you know, get to talk with you guys personally, which was really cool getting to meet you the last time and, uh, you know, sit down and talk with you and, 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 uh, you know, just with all the other guys that were there, it was, it was a really good,
4: uh, yeah. uh
3: meeting. And, you know, even if not with that one, if I'm able to kind of go ahead and then try to go to, you know, get a catch a flight and come up for, you know, the one in the Northeast or the one that Nick and them have out there on the, on the West coast, um, uh, I've been threatening to go up and visit Nick for a long time. We just haven't been able to go and want to go hang out and do it on the same weekend that he's going to show and just ride and hang out with him for the weekend. And right. uh, that hasn't happened yet and but sooner or later.
1: Yeah, but, you know that's um, crazy. The uh the the Northeast Carpet Fest last year, you know, I've been talking to Nick since two thousand and and mm-hmm. I've never met him and that was the first time I've ever met him was at that uh no, no, I met him at ICAST, but, like, to really hang out with him was at uh, yeah. Northeast Carpet Fest, so that was that was pretty cool, but, yeah.
3: And, see, that's, that's a whole different Nick from the one when I first met him. I've been talking to him for years, and I first met him when he came to an NARBC and hung out with Sean Christian. Right. And, just real quick, on a quick story with that, because he hates it, but uh we took him there's a there's a place out in fort worth called uh billy bob's which is a huge you know seven eight acres under one roof where there's a actually a bull riding rodeo arena over here and then there's a gretchen wilson was actually in concert that night and there's a dance floor and there's a bar and it's just all this stuff in there so we all hung out and went up there, and, you know, Nick, we, we all grabbed a beer and sat on, like, the front row, and these guys are riding bulls, and the bull, like, comes all the way up to the gate, like, right there, and Nick's like, oh, man, this is so cool getting to see this bull. I mean, like, right in front of him. So, there's another little section over there where they've got, like, this big stationary, you know, fake bull so you could take pictures on. So, we all kind of got the cowboy hat and the little scarf and all that, and, if you know Blake Bauer, uh, there was, yep. Sean decided to hang out on the horns in front of it like he was trying to wrestle it and twist its neck. Nick was on the bull, I was on the bull, Blake was on the bull, and I think there was somebody else. I can't think of who it was. Blake decides to get the pink cowboy hat and the pink scarf and the look <laughs> on his face. The look on his face—it was so bad. I had I had another friend that was there with me that that does you know strictly ball python. and he was standing there and he said this cowboy walked up behind him, looked up here, he said that just ain't right, and just walked off. Because gay, I mean Blake looked so gay, it was it was like oh my gosh. So Nick got a picture of it and he's like this is going to my house and it's staying there. I've been trying to get him to like post it up somewhere because it was just I mean, you know we were all having a good time but. Yeah, that was the first place <laughs> I met him, so it was really cool, and, and now he's kind of changed and bulked up, and yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but he's still St. Nick. He's still St.
3: Nick, you know? Yeah, he is. So, that's really cool, but um, I don't have a webpage as of yet, so uh you can find me on Facebook at Python in a Pear Tree, and email, contact you through there, and uh, on Facebook itself uh Michael Pinnell, so... I actually do not have messenger on my phone, but through the uh business app that Python and Patrick app, it has messenger built in so if they want to message me there, I can actually do that at work on my phone. but as far as actual personal page messenger, I don't have that oh, okay uh upcoming shows I should be at a Conroe, Texas show in I think the third week of January uh i'm normally at uh nrbc arlington twice a year i think first one's in either february or march and then um in august or september and a couple of different local shows i do a few in louisiana and think about i really want to try to go up to tenley i'm I'm trying to talk to a friend of mine we may just catch a flight go up to tenley and hang out for the weekend and and uh just to come and you know hang out with people and visit and Check out Carpet Row. They won't check it you, out for
1: years. You won't be disappointed, man. Tinley's a good time, for sure. But yeah, I've Would got a, agree, another Rob? friend of
3: mine. That's,
2: oh, yeah, totally. You should come, yeah. Mike.
3: <laughs> yeah. And, and like I said, that's been in the plans. A lot of it just always deals with work. And when you can't get off of work, it just throws a month Because on that, I kind of have to get a Friday and a Monday. Just make yeah. sure I can yeah. kind of halfway rest before I have to go to yeah. work Cause most of the time now with 10-hour days, I mean, like I got to yeah. be up at 4 a.m. Uh, for work in the morning. And then for a while, yeah. I was having to get up at 2.30 a.m. And you Holy work 12 shit. hours. It's, yeah, yeah. So when you're getting up at like one thirty, I mean, that's not even the crack of dawn. That's like way before. <laughs> that's like where people are going to bed. <laughs> and you're up yeah.
0: to go to work uh-huh.
3: to build air conditioners in December, and you guys are got like snow. So I don't know what we're yeah. doing, but it wow. pays the bills. So I do what I got to do. Yeah,
1: I'm an early riser like you. I got to be up at four a.m. too. You know. Oh, so. yeah, yeah. <laughs>
3: we'll get some rest, my friend.
1: Yeah, likewise. <laughs> <laughs> uh well it was awesome chatting with you, Mike. Uh I just sh- I should tell you real quick before we hop off. Um as we were as you were telling that story, Nick sent me a picture of a gelatin jungle that he found. <laughs> oh. What are the chances I
0: wonder if it's
3: as good I wonder if it's as good as gelatins he'd got in his rack at home.
1: No. He'd probably say it's better it.
3: because it's wild. It's a wild animal. He would say it was better. Hands down No matter what his rack looked like Oh That's Oh, oh Yeah I guess I gotta go
1: find Start to get another jar Fill that oh, jar man. up <laughs> Man You ain't lying yeah. Woo Uh But Again man Thanks You're welcome anytime Uh Always great chatting yes, with sir. you Yes sir
3: Man What's It's up? been you a sure? pleasure to be on and, and talk with you and Rob And, and uh Old live some old Uh old memories of time gone by with the, with the,
0: you know, where we
3: came from uh, and and looking forward to uh, where this, uh, where this industry and and the the love for our animals leads us to in the future. And just the breeding projects you've got going and, and, you know, like I said, we're going to talk about them red later. We'll work something out.
1: (laughs) I like it. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds good. All right, man. Have a good one. All right, man. Take care guys.
0: All right, you too, Mike. Thanks.
1: Right. All right, bye-bye. Yeah, that was, that was like p- perfect timing, man, as, as Mike was telling that story. It just uh, nicked like texted me right out of the blue. Uh, <laughs> picture picture of a gelatin jungle. God, yeah, I told him, I said, awesome, you know, that's really cool. Me and we're talking right now to Michael Pinnell about your bull story when you guys met. He said that was a fun night. That was a fun night for sure. <laughs> so, cool stuff. Oh, man. Yeah, you know, I think it's I think it's important that, you know, um guys that have been doing this longer and uh, you know, guys that me and Owen have looked up to, um I it's important to get that that info archived so that uh cuz, you know, he did bring up a good point that um yeah, people don't people people don't remember those days. You know, you know like the newer people getting into it, they don't remember sure. uh forums and you know who was who and the just the different uh things that were happening and you know, it's just a, a different time, you know. I guess I'm being a, a, the old guy get off my lawn old man guy, but uh <laughs> you know, I don't know. Yeah. But you were- no,
2: unfortunately, I, I get you too much, man. You know, I think that's just—it's one of those things where it's like you're either, you know, you're either into it for that either adds value or you don't care. You know, and I, for both of us too, it adds value. So, no, I'm totally on the same page with you.
1: Yeah, I think one point we were talking, and I was, you know, we both had said that, you know, the backstory of this stuff is. Just as interesting to me as the animals themselves, you know, and uh, finding out the hard work that the people had to do to get these animals, you know, established in captivity. Because, you know, like Michael was saying earlier, it wasn't like there was a complete carpet python book that you could just flip over to page 86 and figure out, you know, well, what's my breeding strategy going to be? You kind of had to like, (laughs) you know... (laughs) So Google Earth that you could like Google a picture of Australia and like look and see what's going on and what the environment looked like um you know, but yeah, I mean I think it, that
2: I stuff's still it's still going on, you know, just with different stuff, right that's what Keith is always trying to push in the Bolings group, you know in terms of okay, let's talk this through, let's figure it out, and that's stuff that happens literally across the board with everything if you go back far enough. I mean, it was happening with corn snakes. If you go back, back far
1: enough, you know. Sure. They really worked. Yeah. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I think, I don't know, maybe you can, it seemed like back then that, that people shared more, well, at least in the Morelia world, it seemed that people shared more of that, uh, you know, the accomplishments and, and, and the disappointments and the kick in the gut and the, you know, but then, you know, successfully having a clutch of this or that or that kind of stuff.
2: Um. Yeah, I mean, which is not to say there weren't people who were either trolls or jerks or whatever. You had the guy who was saying he knew the, the quote, hit markers on granite and all that jazz. I remember all that. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> you know, I mean, so that that stuff was still, you know, it's not saying, oh, no, it was, it was all peaches and cream. But at the oh, same time, on. yeah, it, you know, just seemed – certainly, I don't know, it's just sort of the thrill of discovery, and then sharing it, and even through good times and bad, you know, as opposed to now, it just seems like, it's what you see on a Facebook, you know, you only see, only see the good, and it, it went, all, and that good is only a picture of eggs hatching, or litter being dropped, or whatever, and you say, wow, man, you know, I just, I just got slugs, or I just had, you know, this problem, or that problem, or whatever, no one else must be having this problem, and it's like, no, that's not the case, it's just, maybe they're not sharing that or maybe it's not getting liked enough for you to see it, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I, I mean, what do you think? You think this year we'll actually see more ball ones produced? I
2: sure hope so. I mean, I think they're, they're certainly cool snakes. You know, I, I worked with the pro exotics ones as a specialty for a couple of years there. Um, and tried all sorts of different things and, add up here at high altitude and all these different things. I just think mostly it'll be someone like Keith who, especially now that he's more focused, um, you know, will have results. I think that's been Frederick's secret to success, man. We talked about ah. this. It's like he's got like 10 snakes or whatever, you know what I mean? Like it's a lot easier to be super dialed into what you're doing if, you, if, you, if that's your setup. You know, not that Keith has 10 things, but I think certainly with those he's putting that commitment in say okay no, i really want to watch these things and read them and see what they're doing and hey man you still gotta have a male and a female that are interested you know at least someone interested in doing the job but i sure hope so
1: yeah i think uh i mean we've talked about it before but you know you know your collection expands and it contracts and it expands and it contracts and it's kind of like uh for me i've kind of found that i you know I'm most successful when I'm dialed in. It seems like when I get too, uh, you know, expand too much into different cool stuff, uh, sometimes it, it distracts me from my, uh, my, my, my my main goal. And, uh, it ends up hurting me, um, in the long term. So, yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, totally. I, I think
2: that's, you know, I, I think you're right. And it makes sense to say, okay, well, you're focused. You can even have other things as long as you say Australian pythons or, you know, Indo-Australian pythons or, or whatever. I think that makes sense. But as we both know, man, there's the siren song, of, and there's a cool thing from everywhere, basically. You know? <laughs> that's, that's
1: the thing to, yeah, I know. Yeah. You know. Well, I found that, like, um, so here, here's an observation. So... You know, I know that we've, you know, Owens had uh, white lips and rings and all this stuff. And, you know, we know that, you know, they require um, different care approach than say carpets, which are kind of like bulletproof as opposed to those guys, which are more sensitive. And, you know, we were talking a couple of weeks ago about how much of a hard time we're having with condros as of late, man. I mean, yeah. it just seems like, I don't know, man it's just they <laughs> yeah, Whew. yeah, I mean,
2: and i I'm surprised a little bit that that he has had that trouble because he's keeping that stuff from a similar area, but I mean heck, I know I know that uh, that battle they're they're fascinating critters that at the same time, if you aren't in an environment that supports kind of at least in some way, shape, or form what they like to do then. And you're putting in a lot of work, and if you slip on that work, you're going to pay for it, you know. And I think that's yeah. uh, that becomes the issue, you know. And I, it's not even whether it's in, you know. Certainly, it's not intentional, but whether it's something that you're even aware of, or if it's just happening and you're not even not even seeing it, some stuff's just more sensitive. The Inland Carpet, you can be off base, and I think you're fine. Whereas the Chondro. You you're off base, and your process, you know, you wind up saying, "Oh, okay, here you just change the water, and then it dumps it that night, and then you don't look at it, you know, but four days later or whatever." And you're where I live, you very well might have a, you know, you might walk in and say, "Okay, I know I got a problem with that like, smell," you know.
1: Right. Yeah. And I, I think just like with with managing, a, like for me personally, managing a collection that I that I that I managing is it's kind of like um I have a set routine where I'm working with a specific section of my room every every day, you know, but I might not mm-hmm. get back around to that other section sure. until a week later. With the carpets, it sure. works fine. You know what I mean? There's no yeah. problems. Even even, you know, I've I've stuck ball pythons in the mix, no problems. Angolans, no problems. Um Yeah. The the short tail stuff that seems to be uh you know a little bit sensitive uh yeah, and you know we've talked about this I've had you know Matt has told me that he has uh the easiest time with Borneos where I've had the hardest times with everything but bloods <laughs> you know blood seems yeah. to be easy one for me, yeah yeah,
2: well, and doubtless that right there's some. Some subtle thing that's a differentiation in your room that's causing that. I mean, that's the thing with all those short tails, but it's like, man, those things are easy if you got your room dialed in to fit what they want to do. And some other things you take that. Obviously, Matt's having success with the condos, you know, but um, it's one of those things where it's like, man, if you don't have, if you don't do that sort of a constant temperature deal and you're trying to do, do them separately and whatever, those things can be. Can be trouble, you know. For yeah. Sure.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh have you started doing anything breeding wise? Have you uh began um, your well, breeding season?
2: <laughs> I so sort of yes, yeah, sort of now I suppose. I'm about to uh maybe here this weekend. I, I gave a last feed before Thanksgiving to all the colubrid stuff and now um put that out in the garage and then um, leave them there for three months or so and then uh bring them back in and toss them together. But in terms of in terms of the other stuff, man, I'm still sitting here staring at a uh a gravid Candelia Subernae Australis that uh she's just kinda saying, Hey dude, I'm I'm cool. I'm just hanging out doing my thing, cruising the cage. I don't know, you know, it's one of those where <laughs> I've never uh I saw her ovulate in the first week of March and I haven't seen a firm date in terms of, uh, ovulation or even ovulation shed to then part tuition. um, in this species. People, it's one of these where it's like, oh yeah, I used to read lots of those back in the day. Oh, okay. Do you have any pictures, any information at all, anything? And the answer is no. Um, so I, you know, you never know what to make of that, but, um, so I'm still sitting here staring at her, you know, and she um, she seems all normal and good. So who knows? I think we've reached the point where I have lost my expectations. I had high expectations. Then I was nervous, and now I'm just saying, oh, okay, you're doing what you're doing, and we'll see what happens, see how it plays out. And I know on Viper Boas that it's supposed to take up 10 months, and, I mean, she's trying to push that date now. So I don't know. Wow. Maybe, uh, maybe someday she'll show up. But yeah, I mean, we're at like human pregnancy terms at this point. So, <laughs>
1: wow.
2: You know, patient patient grasshopper, you know, for, yeah. for reals this time.
1: <laughs> oh, man, you ain't kidding.
2: Damn. Yeah, you know, so we'll see. We'll see. But uh, yeah, it certainly makes, you know, 30 days to eggs and 60 days to hatch and whatever. You know, that man, that's nothing compared to... What are we at? You know, here at day,
1: you
2: know, um, past two hundred or whatever, you know. Yeah. So.
1: You're a few months away from a year, man. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean,
2: right. You know. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. About this point, I think it was about this point in March. So what? That's eight months, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, is it nine? I might be nine. Yeah, nine so months. Yeah, this I month think. it's about nine months right now. So. Maybe in another month or so, then I'll start to wonder. Looking at that, the viper boas, back from another, same genus, different species. And, you know, I don't know. But as I say, I I saw in the Pulse and I, which were related, that people were saying they'd fed him. She went off feed back in, oh, I'd have to look at the thing, but maybe May or June. Um, And so then I just didn't try and feed her. And then I saw something saying, oh, people, or maybe I was listening to Vin's show when he was talking to the, uh, who was he talking to? He was talking to uh, Josh Parker, and I said yeah. that, and he was, and that he was feeding the pulse and I, you know, up until they dropped, more or less. And I said, well, heck, she's giving me a look like she might eat something, so let me see what she does. And she has been. She's eating, I don't know, super small, three or four fuzzies, something like that, and faster than normally. And, you know, always gives a look like, hey, dude, where's the next one? So I, I had no idea, man. I, I had no idea. But hopefully, and it's one of these things where – the for better or worse, then it, if I do eventually get some, it's like, man, I don't know how I'm going to part with
4: after 10 months <laughs> you know,
2: like, you know, someone, had, someone was busted on the Candelia uh, Facebook of saying, you know, sort of a snide comment. Obviously someone kind of unaware of the situation saying like, Oh, you guys are still working with wild font. And someone else responded saying, yeah. Oh yeah. You know, yeah, it's really crazy considering how many captive breads there are available. And my own personal thought was like, yeah, even if someone did produce some, you know, assuming they don't have huge litters, I don't even know how you get rid of the darn things. You know, you just <laughs> waited a year for. Yeah. Them. I mean that's 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 the thing. When she when I saw her follicles developing was last August. So at this point we're what? So that's. Okay. So right now we're at like 16 months from when I start saw her start building follicles associated with what she's rabid with right now.
0: 16 holy months. Sh- <laughs> you holy know, shit.
2: It's like, and, I mean, you know, no one would pay the price that it would take to get them from it. You know what <laughs> I mean?
1: It's great. And what's the, uh, what's the thought of why it takes so long? Is there any I, thoughts behind that? Yeah. I mean,
2: I think basically it's just that they're, so like we were talking about with the Savus with Mike when he was on, I think it's basically just that they're, you know, from a place that has a dry season and a wet season, but there's not much of a temperature difference. And so I don't think there's really a huge impetus for them to, you know, to go more quickly. Whereas Rosie Boas and the Rubber Boas and stuff that are here in North America, they need to get those things out because then they're going to be, they need them out before they overwinter and they want to give those babies a shot to, Maybe get a feed and then over winter, or even just go straight into it. Um, you know these things they are sitting there on the island, just going banging out. You know, and so it's like, well, it can take as long as it takes, man. You know, there's no there's no incentive to go more quickly, is, I think the uh-huh. upshot. Right. But yeah, man, patience, patience. It's crazy.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: You're learning it, man. What about yeah, the helmet Harris?
2: Well, so the males just I think he man, he's freaked out with this female. I just have the one after the one pair that uh that other male she sat on him for about four months. Not this this season, but a year ago. Well, was it even a year ago? Maybe it was two years ago at this point. And I just her body weight I think caused him some problems. Um mm-hmm. and then she bit him and that certainly didn't help. Um but so I, I had these two and man, every I have them in those link cages and every time I open the link, she comes in and checks it out and whatever and he hightails it undercover and says, whoa, okay. This is, um, <laughs> so I think I need to figure out either another another male to let his hormones override his fear or maybe even pull the Owen with the shed skin you know, if I can get a shed from another adult male and toss that in there, see if that that helps him out. But she's, right. yeah, she's as I told you, man, she owns her spot and he's I think he realizes that too. <laughs> <You know? laughs>
1: He's playing it smart. Yeah.
2: No, no joke. So, but uh, what do you? I know you're you're taking the season off, but what are you growing up that you think it'll be the the hot shot project for the for the season where you actually go into play at, at your new place?
1: Oh man, you know it's. Uh, I got this big board in my snake room, and I started <laughs> as a. It's like one of those marker boards. The to the board. <laughs> yeah, I got a board now, man. It's right above my sink, you know. I was telling Owen there's a paper towel rack right there, you know. I'm just excited about the paper towel rack as I am uh-huh. the board, and the, you know, it's like holy shit. Yeah. You know? Everybody else is probably like, "Who gives a shit, dude? It's just a paper towel holder." But you gotta understand what I came from, man. You know. Right. But anyway. Yeah. Uh, you know, going around, looking at stuff, jotting stuff down is, uh, I think probably morph-wise, probably my biggest powerhouse, um, pairing would be albino zebra jag to exanic zebra. Um, that's, that's going to be, uh, yeah. I'm going to get <laughs> those double head snows one way or the other, man. <laughs> right, man. <laughs> um man there's just so much stuff i mean i, I literally uh, you know i know in the past years i've said yeah i could do 30 pairings i could do this i could probably do 50 60 pairings of carpets oh my god uh, <laughs> i mean there's just a lot of stuff man inland should be going that should be cool you know trying my stuff at something different other than um uh, that I, I have some really killer IJ stuff. That's all of age. uh That will be of age and um yeah. Um, probably out of that, the, the IJ stuff. The stuff I'm most excited about is I got that wild caught girl. Yeah. Um, Long term captive from Nick, and I got that yeah. you know poster child bloodline or line or whatever you want to say uh, from uh, from Aaron. We're gonna put that together and hopefully kick some hypo esque type of uh sure. IJs. Um so that should be cool. The gelatin jungles should be up to size, uh man, Tiger Head Albinos should be ready to go. just a lot of poison ivy babies should be able to be bred back to each other and man Oh my <laughs> sky's the limit. Then there's my secret project. That'll be ready for sure. You, know, yeah. you you know what that is, but the yeah, listeners maybe. don't, <laughs> you know, oh, but, uh, that should be cool. It's going to suck. I know for sure. Sitting a year out when everybody's hatching shit and, you know, uh, and I'm just hey, like here. Hey man, that's here. when you hide the Facebook and you don't worry about it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. 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 It's, it's cool though. I'm fine with it. It's, you know, I, I know I'll just be like a little bit, Oh man, you know, this is the first year I'm not breeding and not like I've been breeding all that long, but you know, it's like, uh, it's just, you know, it's just used to it as a progression. So, um, but I think, I think long-term it's, it's better for the collection and better for the animals. If I, if I sit this one out, let them, let them, let them acclimate to what's going on. And then, uh, give it a whirl next year. So,
2: Yeah, no, I, I think that's totally right. I think that, you know, patience is the key, and I think you'll be well-served by doing that, and probably, man, next year you're just going to crush it, would be my assumption, you know. You'll be so overflowing, you'll you'll have to quit your job because, I mean, heck, man, you just won't have time.
1: <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> carpets aren't going to pay the mortgage. Um. <laughs> uh, but uh, no, it should be cool. I, you know, I'm looking forward to uh, everybody coming, coming out. You know, not for nothing, but at all the previous carpet. Well, I should say, you know, when everybody went to Owen's place for Carpet Fest, it seemed like more people were focused on, you know, rough scales and white lips and ring pythons and all that kind of stuff. Sure. Um, but when you're coming to Carpet Fest here you know and when we're at the southern carpet Carpet Carpet. fest you know yeah yeah, bill he has a lot of carpets but he also has a huge amount of chondros and ball pythons um and uh when you're coming here you're going to get a little sneak peek into like you know uh zebras caramel granite zebras uh you know bino zebra jags and gelatin jungles palmerson's inlands uh you know brisbane's hypo bread you know all that kind of crazy stuff so it'll be yeah. uh yeah. a carpet lover's dream you know what i mean <laughs> so yeah
2: no doubt and yeah pushing pushing the agenda which is,
1: which is good you
2: know and you're still thinking june for that? This is your idea
1: I think so. I think we're, uh, yeah, we got to get together and settle on a date and get that going because that'll be here before we know it. But, um, you know, the idea is, you know, to have the pool and people can swim and stuff. But, uh, you know, it's probably be a few weeks off of what we normally do. I think normally Mm -hmm. we go the weekend after Mother's Day. I think it is. You know, which, yeah it's been pretty good to us the past, uh, five years. So, uh, but honestly, man, I like, I have talked to you about this. I'm just, it feels good that it's, if it's at my place, like I don't have to worry about going through somebody else, you know, not that, not that those guys have been great, but you know, it's just different (laughs) when you're not, you don't feel like sure. you're intruding on somebody else. Like, yo, Owen, this is what we're going to do. Yo, Howard, this is <laughs> – you know what I mean? <laughs> For sure. Yeah. yeah but no, I think that – I mean, I think it'll be great. I
2: want to try and figure it out to
1: to make it out and get some
2: – have to show me the cheesesteak situation, you know, so.
1: Oh, heck yeah, man. I already got it lined up. I went out and, <laughs> I, you know, I, I tested the various cheesesteak places around my new spot and, you know, found out which one was the best and the closest to what you know you would get if you went downtown but uh right. yeah there's one that's it's it's pretty damn close man so yeah we'll hook you yeah. up no worries we'll get you a soft pretzel <laughs> a cheesesteak <laughs> and a water ice you're all things i like man that's that's
2: yeah. good you know I'm glad
1: to hear. <laughs> yeah a water ice you say not water ice it's called water mm. ice <laughs> So, yeah i feel
2: like i might need you to order for me you know it's one of those <laughs>
1: yeah yeah it could be rough you know don't say you know with or without that kind of thing yeah but, uh, yeah and
2: then you know they say well
1: no sandwich for you it's kind of the deal <laughs> you know, so well yeah, exactly exactly but uh you know so yeah if you're coming well, up this heck. way you have to have a cheesesteak man what's that no doubt you know um but heck man,
2: next, uh, October timely can't come soon enough. Am I right? You know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, well, I probably more than, <laughs> probably more than likely I'll still have animals for sale because I never <laughs> sell anything. So I don't have to worry about taking a year off, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is good, yep. you know, but, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really, I've been like, uh, starting now. So, uh, I've, I talked to Keith a couple times about, you know, um, just his approach to uh what he did at the show because Pete Keith gave me probably the best advice that I've ever had when it to uh, you know, promote yourself at a show and uh, Keith said that uh, he owes his success in the short tail world was to bring in adults uh and his uh top animals uh to show yeah. because mm-hmm. when somebody walks by a table you want them to remember you and um you don't you know how do you get them to remember you uh you have you know killer animals for them to look at uh as we all know with carpets it's re- it's really hard to, to have brown gray yeah. little brown black worms yeah snakes <laughs> Uh, represent what these animals can be and uh, you know um, but see in the Morelia world they've always no, no don't bring your adults what are you crazy you know but uh, so that's the plan and uh, I think it will be good because I remember at the very first carpet row uh, I listened back and Rob you've listened to old shows Uh, remember me reading that letter uh, yeah. That somebody wrote up about, you know, uh, there used to be just ball pythons and leopard geckos at a show, and mm-hmm. now there's carpets. And you know what the animal was that caught her eye was a gamma jag that John mm. had on display. And yeah. um, he had that animal there, and everybody that passed by was like,
0: What the hell is that?
1: <laughs> yeah. So, for all you purist yeah. guys out there that, you know, <laughs> just want to have uh, just want to have people come to your table, just buy a Gamma Jag and stick it in a showcase and they'll come on over to your table and you can get them into carpets. You don't have to breed it. You just keep it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, no doubt, but, yeah, that's man. cool stuff. Man, we're almost, uh, we got a few minutes yeah, we're, left we're on, before uh, we get kicked off.
2: You know. Yeah, man. So, no, I, I appreciate you having me on. Maybe I'll give you a ring next week. We'll see how Owen's doing. Maybe I can talk to uh, to Jim and see what's going on there, although it sounds like the secretary, uh, maybe Owen's... Either Owen's infiltrating it, or she just can't be trusted in terms of keeping <laughs> stuff quiet cause it's been a problem. Uh, but uh, we'll, see. we'll see about it, you know, and obviously the hit with the demographics, so, it, you know, the people get what they want, so... <laughs> we'll, we'll see what can be done. So I'll check with you during the week.
1: Awesome. Uh, well, you might as well throw out your, uh, before I read off the end stuff, throw out your how do people get in touch with you, email, website, all that kind of stuff. Cool. So, yeah, I am Rob Stone on
2: Facebook, High Chirp on Facebook, com or com take you to the same place. Uh, haven't really updated that you know with this season didn't produce a ton of stuff got some rosy bows for sale got some therite for sale some gray bands for sale um, you know as, as we talked about you know at some point you have to trim the muscle that's gone now we're trimming muscle but you know <laughs> you have to make sacrifices I suppose so yeah, yeah I mean shoot me an email or, or whatever and uh, I'm sure we can figure something out but I appreciate it and yeah man I'll talk to you Maybe next, well, I'll certainly talk to you next week. I don't know if it'll be on here or not.
1: Uh, all right, absolutely. Yeah, thanks, man, for coming on and uh, hanging out. Um, right on. Yeah, always good. So, cool. Um, real quick, yeah, for us, uh, let's see if I can remember Owen's uh, thing, too. Um <laughs> Owen is rogue reptiles, -reptiles rogue-reptiles.com. Uh, you can check him out on his website, uh, or he has a Facebook page. Um, and I believe he has a bunch of, uh, really nice striped coastal stuff for sale. Uh, you can check out what he has going on. I'm not sure when he's ending his shipping window, but I know it's closing quick for us. Me personally, I'm done. I ain't shipping no more. um, but that doesn't mean that uh you know we can't work out a payment plan that you can pay away over the uh the winter when the spring comes around ship it out no problem um i don't think owen has any shows coming up i know he just did hamburg i don't think there's another hamburg until february maybe i could be wrong with that um other than that as far as owen goes um I think everything that he has available is over on his website and I know it's on his Facebook page, uh, which is rogue reptiles. Uh, as far as myself, ebmorelia.com, uh, that's my website. My email is Eric at ebmorelia.com. Uh, now that we're settling in and everything's slowing down, I'm getting pictures and such. So, you know, uh, If you're interested in something, you know, you can always contact me uh, or you can send me a message uh, through Facebook. Um, And as far as us, MoreliaPythonRadio.com. Our email is info at MoreliaPythonRadio.com. If you're looking for a way to get the show, uh, pretty much everything um, is right there on the homepage of the website, MoreliaPythonRadio.com. It'll take you to the blog talk iTunes. Uh, you can listen to the show right off the feed there. Um, there's a there's a player, um, you know. But if if you're on. Uh, pop-